0: Live on stage for the first, first time, time on the T-Days oh, New oh It's not the movie soundtrack, dudes. This is rock and roll! Now get your kids their hot new audio cassette and concert tour book for 3 dollars only at Pizza Hut. Why Pizza Hut? Because they don't sell pizza in record stores, too. Pizza Hut!
1: Hey everybody! This is Jordan from Smallville, Bad Cat Shipper. This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, and you can help support the Batman Universe by heading to Patreon.com/slash the Batman Universe. Now, Tim,
2: what's up? It's
1: it's it's early, but it's still nonetheless the beginning the of the 2018 baseball season.
2: It's early, but. It's getting late already, <laughs> <laughs>
1: and are things looking good for the Yankees? Not
2: too so good? Uh, they're, yeah, it, it's not bad, but it's it, in, it should be a lot better. They they're hovering about five hundred. They're just playing five hundred baseball the last few weeks, probably since our last episode. Yeah, they're right now they're ten and nine, but they'll probably be ten and to ten tomorrow. Then they'll be 11-10. and 10. That's how it goes. They win one, they lose one. They win two, they lose two. They just can't get a good winning streak going, which has been very frustrating. And then yeah. you counter that with the Red Sox being pretty much unbeatable <laughs> all this season so far. They're getting into a hole that, like I said, it may be early, but if you dig yourself a deep enough hole, it's going to start getting late early, as Yogi Berra said. So <laughs> it's, things could be better, but it's not the end of the world debt for the Yankees.
1: Did they um, do something with Fenway? You know, I was watching the highlights, and I don't know did Did they like redo the field or um,
2: something? Nothing too substantial, at least that oh. I'm aware of, or that I noticed. But yeah, maybe it's just I haven't seen Fenway that often. Most stadiums have that netting now. Across yeah, the extended the extended, the extended
1: yeah. netting, which That's is the, really yeah. good. <laughs> they thought it should have been done a long time ago. I wonder if the the A's did that.
2: <laughs> they probably figured, why bother? <laughs> yeah, because uh, they don't no, want to no. ruin what's such a pristine stadium. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, who no one's There, I mean, yeah. um, that <laughs> no one in no seats anyway. <laughs> that
1: um, that extra innings game against the White Sox. Uh huh. Um, when it started getting, you know, the the tenth, eleventh inning, there was nobody there. <laughs> like everybody had left. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Even people with the cheap seats weren't going down to the good seats. I don't know. <laughs> That's how okay. it usually goes. There's a
1: lot of empty, like noticeably empty seats. <laughs> like, do like, you remember uh, one year the White Sox? Can't remember what happened. Uh, I, I think their uh, opening day game was delayed or it was pushed back or something, and um, most of the seats were empty. Remember that? Was that last year?
2: Hmm. It's not ringing a bell. Yeah, hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure that's the case, but I don't remember actually hearing that. <laughs> but yeah. with weather, especially the Chicago area this season, I'm sure. I mean, yeah, a few seasons ago it was pretty the same. Where they probably but, had a delay opening day.
1: But anyway, the um, it looked noticeably empty. I mean, it looked like a ghost town. <laughs> you like, could actually hear the players talk on the yeah. field. <laughs> <laughs> It looked like, you know, everything was broken down or closed down. And there was like a sea, a sea, Tim, of green seats. I mean, it's, it, it's, it, it looked like a ghost town. I mean, I, and, and plus, like, I, I don't understand why. If, if you look at the Coliseum, it looks like normal stadiums, right? I mean, mm. you know, from the 50s. Um, I don't understand why they they A made that extension to the top of the stadium and mm-hmm. B why
2: they even opened it. Yeah, what they closed off and then they reopened it again.
1: Yeah, because they they recently uh, cuz it was the 50th anniversary of them being in Oakland uh this past week, I think. And they were doing a free giveaway, right? Of ticket uh tickets, right? And what I don't understand is like they filled the bottom part, right? The, the bottom bowl. But even, even though it was free tickets, they still didn't fill up that top part. Oh man. <laughs> so like, uh, I'm to, uh, I'm just wondering why, I mean, was it a football thing? Was it
2: for the, for the Raiders? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe it because that sold more for football games. I wonder, I wonder if you would hope so, but if they were in the post season, if, those seats would sell out still there cuz i think when they're in the playoffs the last a, a few years ago like back in yeah. 2012 and 13 well, those were closed off back then weren't they
1: no they they only opened them for playoff baseball okay yeah so uh, yeah oh, i don't yeah, understand i think they'd sell out for those yeah i don't understand why they open those i mean you can't even sell out the bottom part so like i mean i guess those are like super super cheap seats right if you can't sell out the bottom part. There,
2: there should be like dollar seats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just to get some people in there and make it look full. Cool. <laughs> I don't know. Tim, well, maybe, maybe when they buy the stadium and they do a remodel, they'll get rid of the yeah. top section there. I don't know, Tim.
1: I mean, it's the Coliseum. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, but look on the bright side. Both our teams are having some upcoming Star Wars themed bobbleheads in the near future.
1: <laughs> yeah, at least they're trying. You know, I mean, at least they're they they're trying something because they I I know like last year at least they had a ton of Star Wars nights. It seemed like <laughs> like Star Wars themed nights, Star Wars themed this fireworks show, <laughs> you know,
2: and so, The bobblehead. You showed me last night, like, pretty cool, though.
1: I forget, what, what player was
2: it? Matt Chapman. Okay, okay. yeah. Yeah, I saw it solo with a Chewbacca next to him. Yeah, okay. yeah. It, it's a nice-sized bobblehead. It's definitely worth to pick up. And then the Yankees are doing one next weekend, for or two weeks from now, for May the 4th, an Aaron Judge Jedi bobblehead, where his, he's in the Jedi robes, and his, he has a lightsaber that lights up. It looks really cool. God, you see, that's what he, even the bobbleheads, people have nicer bobble, bobbleheads
1: than the ace. <laughs> so I, I was just
2: complimenting on their Hanzo and Chewbacca moment,
1: <laughs> It's not that bad. Yeah. I do like the new um, uh, green uniform for the A's. I think it's the third color. I don't know if you've seen it. I don't know if I. No, I don't think I noticed that so far this season. Yeah, well, nobody really watches them.
2: Why so. <laughs> <laughs> will they play the Yankees in a few weeks? I'll notice it.
1: Yeah, j- j- so- j- just think of the. uh it's so hard to explain. The green, um, you know the green shirt? Yeah. Except it's a brighter green. Okay. Yeah, it's just brighter, but it looks better. So. Mm.
2: Yeah. I wonder why they decided to do that.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe to like, as like a throwback kind of thing, you know?
2: Yeah, a few teams are doing that. You yeah. know, Diamondbacks and the Rays are doing it because it's their 20th anniversary since they joined the league as an expansion team, so they're having some throwback jerseys out they're doing over the course of a few games this year.
1: Never really liked the Diamondbacks. um, Old uniforms. I kind of like their purple ones. Uh,
2: Because it's it's unique. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody else is wearing purple. Yeah. Because now the ones they have is kind of generic.
1: Yeah. It's the same thing with the old Marlins um, team logo. With the Marlins. Yeah, Yeah, I never really liked that.
2: You know, I was a little, I wouldn't say obsessed, but I was into the Marlins when they in their first season because yeah. I, I was the first time since I was a kid being into baseball where we were getting expansion teams with the Marlins and the Rockies. I yeah. was like, oh, cool. Uh, Florida's getting a baseball team in Colorado. I just took to the Marlins for some reason. I think it's because of their logo and their color scheme, like the, the aqua green color and the, the Marlin fish on the hat. I used to wear that hat so much really? <laughs> when I was a little <laughs> kid. Yeah. Made sure I watched their first game. Yeah. There was like a one season, which their opening season was 93, I believe. So I was a Marlin fan for a little bit. <laughs> but that didn't last too
1: long. I used to always like the the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. You know, when they had the Ray, or the actual, mm, yeah. you know, Ray, uh, were, Manta the Ray. The Devil Rays, yeah. Yeah, the Devil Rays. Plus, they had a cool name, the Devil Rays.
2: You know? <laughs> so. But they didn't start getting good until they dropped it and were just the raid. <laughs> I can't believe they need a new stadium. Oh, they need one. Them and Oakland, they're the two teams that need new stadiums more than anybody.
1: What, what happened with it?
2: <laughs> it's just it's awful. The, the dome is awful. You got those catwalks that interfere with balls in play. Yep. Nobody goes. It's in a bad location. Well,
1: really? It's in a bad location?
2: Yeah. You could. Hmm. Flip a coin to see who's his worst, Coliseum or Tropicana Field. They're really both bad. Mm. (laughs) Coliseum. So don't feel so lonely, Dane. There's another team out there who's suffering stadium woes like you are. Yeah.
1: It's really weird, by the way. Um, You know, I was watching... I don't even remember. Uh, It was A's versus somebody. They were playing at the Coliseum. It was a day game. And uh, before the game starts started they were doing a walkthrough kind of thing. I mean a uh, um a little piece where they throw things down, the the booth throw things that down to uh Dallas Braden who's their sorta of like uh that's color it. guy, right?
2: So that's where he went.
1: Yeah, yeah. After that perfect game, he kind of
2: disappeared.
1: (laughs) This perfect game and yelling at A-Rod. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What was that for, like, stepping on the mound? A-Rod,
2: it was the the end of the inning, and A-Rod was going back to the dugout, and he just walked across the mound, and he yelled off,
1: Get off my mound. (laughs) (laughs) And then after that, he he threw a perfect game for some reason.
2: (laughs) Everyone attributed it to the (laughs) (laughs) A-Rod.
1: He must have been really mad at A-Rod for some reason. (laughs) Uh, But anyway... Uh they throw they throw things down to him and he's doing his piece and I couldn't help but notice like they you know they show him on camera and I couldn't help but notice to his his left or his right, I can't remember, there's like the wall and there's like you know the A's logo, whatever. But then on the side of it, on the side of Dallas Braden, there's like some exposed wires. Like a bundle <laughs> of exposed <laughs> wires. I was like, "What is that? I mean, this is supposed to be a major league baseball park." There's like oh, lighting, uh, you know, wires that are exposed hanging uh, down.
2: You have electrical violation code, I know, <laughs> like it, building code violation that they have there. I couldn't believe
1: it. And I was watching this piece, I guess, from the local um, uh, Oakland, I guess. News, uh, <laughs> and they were doing a piece on how old the Coliseum is, like everybody does, and they show like cell phone, cell phone footage of. I guess it was raining really hard, and the rain is just pouring into the the <laughs> locker room area, the, the, the tunnel, right, and there's a bunch of exposed wires that are getting wet and. <laughs>
2: See, so maybe they're trying to purposely blow it up or cause a <laughs> I don't know a fire explosion in that stadium. Oh man!
1: And of course, like they had to talk about the sewage, <laughs> uh, the sewage situation there. And it's so funny in the piece they said, uh, you know, at one point the Coliseum was something to behold. It was, you know, state of the art. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go on to say yeah in the 1960s <laughs>
2: uh yeah i can't quite say that now yeah. oh man that's funny that they're having a celebration of being in oakland in the coliseum 50 years but it's like it's kind of a sore subject right now to yeah. talk about <laughs> how bad the stadium is
1: i mean they're selling it Tim. him i mean they're you know they got the whole rooted in oakland thing um you know they're they're doing stuff with the or, I guess there's this thing called like the authentic fan promotion, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure what's going on with that, but like they're they're trying to get people to the ballpark, I guess. Um, <laughs> like you said, gotta do what you can. Yeah, <laughs> do whatever it every day And yeah, I'm not sure if they're gonna get this bid for uh, the Oakland Coliseum. So even that might not even work out. Yeah, well, because the, there's other people bidding for um, uh, the, I guess, the land. You know, they're going to tear down the stadium and they're going to build, like, a shopping center or whatever. Uh, and, and, and what I didn't know is they're not only buying out the Coliseum from debt, but they're also buying out the Oracle Arena right next to it. Oh, wow. But it's gonna be empty because the 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 Golden State Warriors are moving to San Francisco, <laughs> so the, so they're kind of buying a empty arena <laughs> also.
2: Well, there's tons they can do with that, <laughs> yeah,
1: I guess. But anyway, that's enough of uh, Oakland's Coliseum walls, stadium <laughs> Um I'm here for you when you need to vent, <laughs> <laughs> Um so yeah, good season for the, the, the Yankees Tim?
2: Uh, I wouldn't say that just yet. Mm-hmm. I'd Why say adequate, I guess. No. So, <laughs> if so, you're above five hundred, yeah. it's adequate. So barely passing it? Yeah. Passing
1: the test.
2: Yeah, it could be a lo-
1: It's supposed to be a lot better, but I think yeah. it's better to turn around quick. Well, if somebody starts hitting, stops strike- striking out. <laughs> I have can, no idea who uh, you're talking about. There, <laughs> Maybe they can, you know, get something together. Um, anyway, uh, let's just do our minute-by-minute minute minute commentary. So, um, make sure you grab your VHS tape. Gra- grab your Blu-ray. Grab your HD DVD. Grab your disc Grab your Beta tape. Grab your projector. Grab your Netflix physical DVD subscription, grab your Blockbuster card, grab your Gamefly rental, right? Mm-hmm. Did I miss anything?
2: You're missing the newest one. The newest oh, and greatest. right,
1: right, right. Grab your VHS to DVD converted <laughs> uh, <laughs> copy of Dark Knight Rises, and I'm going to give the countdown. So, Tim, are you ready? I think... Yeah, I think that's my favorite one though now. That
2: VHS the DVD converter copy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I can't believe people do that. Oh. Anyway, uh are you ready?
2: Yep, let's do it. Right, I three, got my converter all set.
1: okay. Good. All right, three, two, one, hit play.
2: Still in the middle of the prison. I guess I was going to say Bane origin, but that's what they wanted you to believe here. Oh yeah. The Bane's life, Talia, or, origin. I will say, though, when I was in the theater seeing this for the first time, I was really, you know, happy to see them doing, you know, pretty much the Bane origin story that we knew in the comics. The little, you know, the baby who was born in prison, who grew up there. Yeah. yeah. So at this point, it was all yeah, awesome. They're doing some cool, you know, nods to Bane's origin story in the comics. They're doing like their own spin on it, but still paying you know, tribute to how it was from the source material, which I thought was cool. But even then, um, with that being Talia, that didn't ruin anything for me afterwards. Saying, oh, well, why did they switch it? It still worked for the story they were trying to tell. And who knows? You know, Bane was in that prison. Maybe he still, <laughs> maybe he did grow up there. Or he just never got out until Rachel Gould came and rescued everybody. So what was wrong with Bruce's back? They never really say. I mean, yeah. I assume that it was broken, but I know that's the... This part, even though I made it up, this is the part where some people have issues with was him getting his back fixed this quickly and just by hanging on that rope. But yeah, uh, sometimes you just got to roll with it and in the course yeah. of the limited amount of time they have to tell the story. <laughs> they they try to put a gap in there with it being six months, though.
1: So. S- sometimes you just need some prison surgery. Yeah. But,
2: <laughs> some unorthodox methods that you wouldn't expect <laughs> to work end up working. So Yeah, that, yeah. Don't, don't have to suspend your disbelief too much.
1: That that doesn't really bother me. What bothers me about that scene or any of the prison scenes is how do they get food down there?
2: <laughs> That's a good question, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's just a hole in the ground in the middle of
2: nowhere, right? So, yeah, they're supposed to make it like nobody gets in or out. So, yeah, so like... Unless, you know, they drop a new prisoner in there. But maybe they do have someone who drops some food or, uh, <laughs> in a way that no one can... You know, sabotage and try to escape yeah. for them to bring the food. Yeah. So, <laughs> who knows? Anyway,
1: uh, why don't you tell everybody at home about our featured topic for this episode, too.
2: Yeah, so this episode's featured topic is going to be my review of Suicide Squad, Hell to Pay, the latest DC animated movie. And this one, I got to say, we talked about when either got the trailer, or got the announcement for it. I wasn't too excited for it because to me it just sound like another generic origin suicide squad story, which, you know, that didn't get me excited for this movie. We got, you know, we've seen it before several times now, you know, in the animated movie and the real the live action suicide squad movie. Just I wasn't, you know, too interested in seeing another story where the suicide squad comes together and they gotta do a mission for Amanda Waller and all that. But I have heard some good things about it. I know Jordan, in our last episode in the email, he sent said it was great. He, he liked it a lot. And I've heard some good buzz. So I didn't buy it. I actually rented it. This is probably the first time I did that with a DC animated movie where I wanted to rent it first before I bought it because, you know, hearing good things. But still, I wasn't too excited or interested, just yet, but I wanted to check it out because of the good buzz I was hearing. And much to my surprise and delight, it was a lot better than I expected. I actually really enjoyed it. And part of it was it, you know, subverted my expectations of it just being another generic Suicide Squad origin story. It wasn't an origin story. They were just going on a mission. So it was weird that the trailers kind of made it feel like we were getting another Suicide Squad origin story because, you know, in the trailers, they showed them getting the bombs be put in them and this amanda waller explaining what, what happens if they disobey and all that so i had the feel of it but it just turned out that guess for every mission they would put she would put the new bombs in them before uh, they head out and they she would use different villains so maybe some it was the first time and others it wasn't like dead shot so i'm glad that aspect of something i was worried about not being the case in the movie it was just another mission but yeah it was just this is a action-packed a lot of <laughs> fun moments and definitely warrants it's you know our rating where the violence is a probably a bit over the top especially in the opening sequence where deadshot is working with count vertigo on a mission for waller there's just some over the top <laughs> gun battles and different powers and weapons that are used uh, i know that's what they were going for that, even the some of the like preview stuff some of the creators would talk about they're going for a more slasher type you know action adventure type movie and they definitely achieved that but um so the point of the story for the, the movie is that uh after suicide or deadshot completes his first opening mi- mission with count vertigo and you know the rest of the members on that team were died for betraying wallard and but she has another mission for deadshot and another thing i would wasn't too keen on to when i heard the trailers about the kind of search for this mystical item i was like oh they're gonna do some kind of like enchantress again and after the movie you know suicide squad i'm doing with some of the mystic stuff didn't really work in that i wasn't too keen to seeing another story revolve around that again but uh, it wasn't you know the MacGuffin of the piece and the story it wasn't it didn't have an effect on the overall uh character interactions and then it felt it felt out of place like in the movie did but the thing is, Amanda Waller. Oh, by the way, spoilers for the, <laughs> my review here of what happens in the movie. In case you haven't seen it yet, I'll be going into some of the major plot details here. Can I ask
1: you but, one thing, Tim? Yeah, go for w- it. Why is it rated R? Is it just the violence or is mainly it, the violence? Yeah. Oh. oh, I thought they were like swearing and stuff. I was like, that doesn't really match. The no f
2: bombs or suicide anything. Suicide Squad. Yeah, but there is maybe a little more language than some of the other movies, but. Oh. And there's a brief nude scene, like for the split second. (laughs) But that's about it. And it's mainly for the violence, though, because that's where it's really, (laughs) uh, you know, (laughs) they take it up a notch in this one. (laughs) Oh, I see. So the plot is pretty much where Amanda Waller finds out she's sick and she has a terminal disease. They don't say what it is. Um, So she sends – I keep calling it – I wanted to call Deadshot Slate. I don't know why, (laughs) but – You know, Floyd Lawton is his real name. I got to remember, it's Floyd, not Slade. Not that Deadshot. Dead shot. So to retrieve this special card, they don't know exactly what it is just yet. Or first she sends them to look for somebody who would lead them to this card. So, you know, pairs them up with the members we are familiar with Captain Boomerang, Harley, and then also Killer Frost and Copperhead and then Bronze Tiger. They're, They're pretty much the main members of the Suicide Squad. So she sends them to look for this guy and who ends up being at a male strip club <laughs> and he's a stripper. He's this really aloof guy. He's like all full of himself. This you know a playboy type guy. But the, the, when they capture him, they find out he was actually a Dr. Fate. But, you know, he was <laughs> removed from that responsibility from the helmet after he failed to protect that card. Um, so they find that out. They find out the card, the basic premise of it. It's a card. It's like it's called the get out of hell free card. Where if, if you die, you no matter how bad you are, you wouldn't go to hell. You, that's what the characters believed in. So that's why Amanda Waller wants it. She he knows she's done bad stuff. She knows she's dying. And she wants to avoid that. And that's where a bunch of other villains get involved with it. You see Reverse Flash or Zoom. He's working with uh, a Blockbuster. And who else was he working with? Oh, a Silver Banshee. So that's his crew. And then you got Vandal Savage. Uh, with his daughter, uh, working with uh, someone from Apocalypse, I forget her name though. But uh, they're pretty much all converging against each other to get this card. So it makes for some fun action sequences where you see the Suicide Squad go up against, you know, Reverse Flash, and you see them going up with uh, Vandal Savage. And that's what made this movie fun. A lot of great cameos because uh, when we're introduced to Vandal Savage's daughter, they're there to they break up Professor Pig trying to operate on Two Face. And I like the look of Two-Face. It was this animated series style design where you had the blue face. So that was cool. You get this fun little cameos from different characters and villains of the DC universe. That thing where it felt too cramped, there's too many characters. But when the characters, the main characters uh, needed to get some, it was nice to sprinkle in some DC cameos. Like uh, Two-Face there, but Professor Pig played a role as well. Um, but the standout for me was uh, the role reverse Flash played in here. and I'll get to him in a little bit. But... Uh, once their first encounter where uh, Deadshot was, they were escaping with the car and Reverse Flash trying to go after him. Uh, he's trying to shoot him and he's noticing that Reverse Flash, you know, he's not as fast because he he's chasing them in the van. He goes, you know, he should have caught up to us by now, <laughs> but he hasn't. So that was another mystery that I was curious about going into it. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, I'm glad they called it loud up, called Reverse Flash out there because he should easily catch up to that van, but they're, he's not. So what's up? And so that was a, new mystery in the story I couldn't wait to find out because there had to be some reason for that. So, uh, basically, once, you know, there's betrayals, there's uh, Vandal Savage's uh, daughter betrays Vandal Savage, and she gives the Suicide Squad the location to where he's at because he attacked them and he got the card. And so, then Killer Frost betrays the Suicide Squad to work for Zoom, so there's a lot of switching sides in here over the course of the movie. But, The big thing that I really liked about this movie is how, and this is a twist that I did not see coming. And Jordan mentioned this in his email about the movie. And I'm glad he didn't spoil it because it was a really cool reveal. Um, Reverse Flash. The reason he was after this, and I was wondering because uh, C. Thomas Howell, who played him in the Justice League Flashpoint Paradox movie, he does a great job. He's a great performance as Reverse Flash. I was wondering, okay, are they just using him because he's a great voice actor and he does a great performance for reverse flash and just wanted to use him again, or is this going to tie in uh, to flashpoint in some way? And sure enough, it does. It was a really cool reveal where uh, reverse flash, he has everyone, you know, the suicide squads frozen Vandal Savage. He has him frozen by killer Frost. Like I said, she betrayed the suicide squad and went to work uh, for them. He's about to take the card and he reveals why, and then he takes off his mask and you see this big hole in his head <laughs> from the bullet wound that the Flashpoint Batman shot the Thomas Wayne version shot him with at the end of the Flashpoint movie. I just, my mouth is like, oh man, they're going for that is It is directly connected to Flashpoint. Okay, this is awesome. This is a great surprise and that mystery I was curious about why he was slow. What a great reveal as to why. Because it turns out he starts, you know, giving a monologue of what happened once Thomas Wayne shot, shot him in the head at Flashpoint, he pretty much just, he knew he couldn't save himself, really. He, he was dying, but he gathered what all energy he could from the Speed Force to have that process slow down as much as he could to where, you know, he was able to make himself go into another, the other timeline to where the Suicide Squad movie's taking place. But he's slowly dying. And that's why he wants to get that get-out-of-hell free card. So I just love that aspect that they threw that in where he's, you know, the power of the speed force, it's just so awesome. I just love that aspect of Flash and his mythology. It's how it's, the different ways you can use it in this way, you know, it's a real selfish reason that Reverse Flash or Zoom is doing it. But it is such a cool little surprise I wasn't expecting in this movie and to have Zoom and Dawn played a big role in it. Because I just thought he would might be in a sequence or two. I wasn't sure if he was going to be the main villain or one of the main villains, but definitely had ended up having a bigger role than I was expecting and to have it be continuing from flashpoint, just to get a little victory, what he can, even though he knew he was dying from that bullet wound was just really cool. So that was just a really surprising twist. I'm just glad it all connected with that flashpoint movie. Cause I said before how much I love that animated movie. <laughs> so it was just great to have that connection with it. So he thinks he's won, he's got the card and he ends up killing uh, Vandal Savage and Vandal Savage wants it because he goes, you know, I may be immortal, but I'm not invulnerable with all the, you know, like surgeons of metahumans and superheroes and the people I have to fight now. There's a chance I could die. So I want to protect myself <laughs> by having that card and for the afterlife and all that stuff. So that's why he wants it. And I think Reverse Flash is going is to win. He has the card, but uh, Deadshot is able to escape the frozen you know, ice from Killer Frost. Thanks to Copperhead, even though Copperhead gets killed, <laughs> and then the, a Bronze Tiger gets out. Then Bronze Tiger and uh, Deadshot—they had this feud going on throughout the course of the movie because they have different ideals. Bronze Tiger, even though he's killed people, he he has a code—he only kills you know criminals, no no innocent people he wants to harm, and he, he knows dead, that's not the case with Deadshot. So they clash a lot in this movie, and but they. Always had a little mutual respect for each other as the movie progressed. And it happened here at the end as Bronze Tiger was doing what he could to face off and hold off a reverse flash from getting that card. And even though he dies in the process, but he was able to, you know, prolong it long enough where Deadshot was able to take out a reverse flash and having him end up dying anyway without the card. And what the way he showed his respect for Bronze Tiger was. Because Waller was on their t- case the whole time. Like, make sure you have that card. I'm on my way. Make sure nobody else gets it. So Floyd Lawton had the card. And you, you can only use it once. That's the thing. So as Bronze Tiger was dying, he used the card on him. So once he gave it to Waller, it was pretty much useless. But she, uh, he didn't tell her that. <laughs> she she thinks she has it. She noticed something was wrong. She just tells him, hey, this card, it feels cold. He goes, hey, hey we've been like stuck with, <laughs> with Killer Frost. And there's tons of ice that's up in a cold room there. So that's why. So she kind of like, she suspects something, but she, I guess, was just happy enough to have the car where she didn't want to see it. So uh, just the character dynamic between uh, Deadshot and Bronze Tiger, I thought was another highlight of the film. Uh, Good performances too, by uh, Christian Slater as Deadshot. I thought he did good. And Billy Brown as Bronze Tiger. Uh, They gave performance, good performances over the course of the movie and their characters are probably the standouts other than Reverse Flash for me in the film. So yeah, just all around, it was just, a fun action, it's, you know, nothing extremely deep or, uh, you know, that's going to resonate you too much on an emotional level. There's like maybe a few moments, like I said, with Bronze Tiger and why he's doing things and his, uh, how him in Deadshot class, but it's just a fun action movie. And I said the stuff with Reverse Flash is what I really, really enjoyed most and that twist with it tying into Flashpoint, which is really cool. And yeah, since I'm on the subject of Reverse Flash, I just got to say, He's becoming one of my all-time favorite DC villains over the last few years. I know he's always been one of the best Flash villains, but just in general from some the stuff we've gotten the DC animated movies, especially with Flashpoint, the, just, the Justice League Flashpoint Paradox film, and just the comic too, and the role he played there, and also in the TV show, the first season of The Flash, this great performance is are again for this character. I mentioned C. Thomas Howell, but then in the Flash show, Tom Cavanaugh as uh, reverse flash in season one because i know technically they got another actor who was the real eobard but the performance that tom Cavanagh gave in season one was just really menacing and that you really took to as a villain of the show which is really great so yeah reverse flash this the way he just torments barry allen is just you know it fits for him to be in his most you know pretty much his uh joker to Flash's batman in a way like you know that's Flash's ultimate villain for what he's done to him, the fact he's being from the future obsessed with the Flash, but then being the one to in a way create the Flash by going back in time and you know, murdering his mother and sending off the chain of events that would cause Barry to become the Flash. So it's just one of those crazy time, you know, paradox <laughs> situations where he someone who obsessed with the Flash but doesn't know it yet, but is responsible for creating Flash in a way. I always like that type of stories, even though sometimes they can get a bit confusing what like you're doing with time travel, but it makes for a better you know, uh, I guess rivalry that the characters have as a hero and villain when you get someone like that. And it's in a way, you know, physically there could be evenly matched, but the way Don torments Barry and just reminds them of some of the stuff that he's a failure and the way he, you know, can never live up. So being a hero or he thinks he's a hero, but he's not. He does more than just be a physical threat to Flash being as fast as he is too. But just the mental games he plays with them is what makes him you know, one of his most dangerous foes, I think, too. So yeah, reverse flash, Iwarthon, he's he's rising up there as one of my all time favorite DC villains. And this uh his this portrayal of him and his performance in this movie helped with that too. It's that concept of him doing everything he could to, you know, escape death. Not escape death, but you know, try to make it easier for himself uh in the process. Just again how cool it is to have that control he has over the speed for it. So Yeah, a lot of cool stuff. And again, very surprised that I enjoyed it the way I did. Was not your typical Suicide Squad story, which made it good. It had that, you know, they were building up as a road trip movie because the Suicide Squad were traveling in an RV (laughs) pretty much throughout the course of the film. And just, you know, making things a little more tense between the group. And you throw in some cool stuff with other DC characters that made it for a fun ride. The only some stuff that was kind of my nitpicks about it story wise. I just have a hard time believing these many characters would, you know kind of believe in something about going to hell, they would need a get-out-of-hell-free car, like Zoom, Reverse Flash, like and Amanda Waller, even for that matter. They don't seem like the type of characters who would really think they would need to have something like that to save their soul or whatever. So uh, I get the, it made for an interesting MacGuffin for the film, but the characters who are after it, it was, again, it was cool to see different villains converge against each other to go after this thing. I just sometimes I have a hard time believing that they would believe such a thing would exist so like something like it's kind of nitpicky he's got to I guess get over it and believe it for the course of the story but that kind of set out for me where some characters that didn't fit their personalities that they would believe that they would need to have that but it made for a fun romp so uh, if I had this rate this one I'm going to go ahead and give it I'll give it a four out of five because I really love that twist they had with reverse flash and how it tied into flashpoint it was unexpected it was just done really really well and Yeah, so I got to give props to Alan Burnett. And another reason I wanted to make sure I checked this out was because he's saying this is the last uh, DC uh, project he's going to be writing. I think he's going to be retiring. So uh, he definitely went out on a good note. It was kind of surprising that he chose it to be Suicide Squad, not something, you know, with the main DC heroes or Batman, as, you know, he's written so many great Batman stories. But uh, it was definitely a story that was, you know, it won't be he won't be remembered by going out on a whimper. So it was definitely a good way to write off into the sunset as a writer in the DC universe. So got to give props to Alan Burnett there, and just I guess not only props for this movie, but his his career working in DC animation in general. I mean, he's a big part of Batman the animated series, and he's written some great not only episodes there, but some of the DC animated movies too, as well. Some really great ones. So uh, gonna sad to see him go, but. Thankful for all the great entertainment he's provided me over the course of, you know, over 20 years. So hats off to Alan Bennett as well. So, yeah, if you're interested in checking out just for, you know, a fun hour and a half to pass the time with some DC characters and some cool actions, uh, definitely check out Suicide Squad. Hell to pay. I was much surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Yeah, maybe I'll rent it then
1: since since you
2: did also. <laughs> yeah, definitely worth the rental price. That's for sure. I do. I'll probably end up buying it eventually. Just you know, not quite uh, just yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just because basically, I don't know when I'm going to watch it again, and no need to have it sitting on the shelf for a while <laughs> before I do. So when I have the urge to watch it again or want to show it to someone else, then I'll probably pick it up.
1: All right. So is that it for our future topic, Tim?
2: Yep, that's it.
1: All right. So now we can move on to our news and discussion topics. Uh, the first one is. Uh, Kathy Yan is going to be directing the Birds of Prey film featuring Harley Quinn. You know, good choice, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. I, know, I know she's kind of an untested um, director. I haven't really seen anything that she's directed. But, I mean, it's a step in the right direction.
2: No, yeah, I agree. I mean, I would kind of like to see more, like, like you mentioned, experienced directors giving their shot. Our first big shot with these comic book properties, I think is a, a good thing. And the thing I'm having trouble <laughs> figuring out, because this is just the fault of all these other announcements they've been made, what exactly is this movie going to be? Because um, we know, you know Suicide Squad 2, there's a Harley and Joker movie, there's supposed to be a Gotham City Sirens, and you know oh, Margot Robbie's Harley is supposed to be involved in a lot of <laughs> different movie projects. So it took a while to... Really, see what this movie is going to be, but they're calling it. I mean, Deadline had the exclusive report, so they're calling it a birds of prey film, but they don't know exactly who's going to be in it other than Harley and Batgirl, Barbara Gordon. So, you know, there's a chance, I guess, that maybe could have Black Canary and Huntress in it, or is it going to be a combination of the Gotham City Sirens with Catwoman and Poison Ivy? I don't know, but yeah, the director choice is good. I mean, it's good that they're having a female director work on this project. That's going to focus on Harley Quinn and Batgirl. And who knows, maybe this could be a jumping off point for The end of this works out and, you know, they want to, uh, use Batgirl again for the movie. So maybe she could, uh, work her way on this one and then jump on the Batgirl or the Harley, another Harley Quinn movie. So, uh, it's good. Like I said, good that some new directors are getting their chance here with a big project like this. And it also, I believe the article brought out too that, um, the same writer who got announced to be doing the uh, background movie, uh, Christina Hodgson, is writing this uh, new Birds of Prey film as well. So that makes me kind of believe, too, that they want this to be maybe a jumping off point for Barbara and Batgirl where they introduce her here and then she'll jump into her, her solo movie. So I just like how we're getting some symmetry here, we're getting some same creative forces involved here to hopefully work on several projects. So, yeah, this is exciting, but I just want to know exactly. Is this a Birds of Prey film or not? Because <laughs> I have a feeling that that might not be the final title if it's going to revolve around Harley and Batgirl. So yeah. we'll see. But again, I'm excited for it.
1: Even if it isn't, I mean, just just having a solo Harley Quinn movie, you know, would yeah. be would be fine with me. Um, also, I see like um, Christina Hodson; it, it, she she wrote the spinoff Bumblebee. From the, the the Transformers
2: movies, yeah, I, mean, I, I think that's supposed to come out this yeah. year. Maybe next year. <laughs> I'm not sure. But is,
1: is Bumble Bumblebee the one that breakdances?
2: <laughs> uh, I'm sure he does. It's some one yeah. of those movies. <laughs> I can't remember, but um, yeah, I can I, But I'm sure there was breakdancing by an Autobots at some <laughs> at some point. One of those films. No.
1: <laughs> um, and also, like I, I'm reading about. Kathy Ann, it, it, it she she started started off as a as a journalist. She 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 doesn't have a background in filmmaking, right? She started off as a journalist uh, for the Wall Street Journal, which is interesting.
3: Yeah, so, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, and our next piece of news is that uh, Steven Spielberg will be directing a Black Hawk movie, or as Tim put it in the show notes, Black Whack.
2: Movie. <laughs> <laughs> I just noticed that now. H W we going to this
1: one. <laughs> um, you know, like um, Ava DuVernay uh, directing this new gods movie. Is it called? Is it new gods? Mm. Right.
3: Yeah. Uh,
1: you know, I think if you're going to get Steven Spielberg and you're going to get Ava DuVernay, I think they should be on one of the bigger movies. Not, not you know, Black Hawk. You know, I mean, I understand. I mean, maybe there's Blackhawk fans out there. Um, but when was the last time you read a Blackhawk uh, comic, <laughs> you know, or seen him in a comic?
2: Yeah, the Blackhawks have had a presence in some of the recent stories, the Dark Knight's Metal, and even a little bit yeah. in Scott Snyder's All-Star Batman. But they're totally different from what this movie's going to be in the original Blackhawks and the Blackhawk team. But I know what you're saying, but at the same time, I don't. Know, I kind of pictured this as something Steven Spielberg maybe wanted to do because to me this seems like right up his alley as far as to do a World War II uh, story with the characters the Black Hawk and the Black Hawk pilots. Um, you know, I just can't help but think what has me excited about it, Their great appearance in the Justice League uh, season one finale episode, where they travel back in you know the World War II for Vandal Savage there and the Black Hawks making an appearance and played a, you know a pretty big role over the course of that three part season finale. So that was, that was pretty much my first exposure to them. They were cool there. And so, you know, knowing what Steven Spielberg does with, like, Indiana Jones films, I just think it could be make for a really fun adventure story uh, with the characters of Blackhawks. So, again, I know what you mean. It's not – I don't think anyone's clamoring for a Blackhawk movie. But when you combine that with Spielberg, I, I get excited for it. So um, one of those things, too, where – because it's probably not going to be a while. because I think Indiana Jones 5 is what he's going to do next and that this would probably be after that i would imagine but how's that,
1: how, how's that gonna work out is uh harrison ford coming back
2: yeah what i'm just saying is they're building it as his last one yeah so again i don't know if they're gonna depends how you know i guess how well it does if they want the franchise to continue i really don't want to recast the young indiana <laughs> yeah. jones for the serial series to keep it going or would they kill off Harrison Ford or does the TV series count because, you know, there's an old indie and in the young Indiana Jones Chronicles yeah, TV Yeah, right. <laughs> so I don't know if those count. Are they going to take into consideration when they can't kill him off or are they going to, you know, somehow give a definitive ending to his story? It's going to be interesting, but. Well,
1: was the, uh, the young Indiana Jones, um, was that R- River Phoenix in that show? Um, no, he was only in. The movie, he, right? Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. Okay, never mind. I
1: wonder if uh, yeah. Shia LaBeouf is coming back.
2: I don't think so. He <laughs> they didn't exactly leave on good terms with Harrison Ford and Spielberg. So. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: who, who did he play in uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull?
2: Well, I think his name was Mutt. Mutt. I know his first name was Mutt. I don't know if his last name was Williams. For some reason, that's coming to mind, <laughs> yeah. Mutt Williams. But he might have a different last name. I know for sure his first name was Mutt.
1: And that was uh, Indiana Jones' son?
2: Yeah, so they have to explain somehow, like where he's at in this movie, or, where, or why he's not there. Okay,
1: I don't know. It's I don't know how you write yourself out of that one, but
2: yeah, or did, maybe just don't mention him I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I just like the idea of Steven Spielberg being involved with a DC movie. I mean, maybe if he has a great time with this, he could he would want to do you know a more familiar character project. But I'm just glad he's involved with a comic book movie. This is see what he does with those type of properties and again with black Hawks and the setting in world war ii i think it's right up his alley so yeah it's probably a long ways off but i'm excited to see what he does with it
1: how many world war ii movies has he done
2: uh saving private Ryan, obviously schindler's, schindler's list. list
1: right uh empire of the sun
2: yeah that's another one mm-hmm. yeah
3: is that
1: it
2: indiana that jones
1: but that takes. Place oh, yeah, I gotta count a, though. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, I sound okay. I feel really stupid
2: now. <laughs> you don't think of those as World War II movies per se, but they obviously yeah. take place during that time. So, <laughs> yeah, that's probably why I didn't think of it. But still, no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually just watched uh, recently his that HBO documentary they had on him. Yeah, how was that? It was really good. Mm. Yeah, they pretty much chronicle his career, most of his movies. Of course, they can't spend the same amount of time for all of his movies but yeah they give a nice portion to all of his big ones which was cool so and then there's a great sequence we're talking about of when he first met george lucas and you know how they were you know friends in those early days and some great old footage of them just hanging out playing pool and stuff like that so that was really cool to see how's the uh jaws coverage oh that was really cool too oh, i mean cool. that was, that's pretty much what starts it off <laughs> it's like of course his first big movie, and that's the first one they focus on, and you know, all the problems it went through <laughs> in production. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm sold. If there's if there's a lot of Jaw stuff, I'm sold. Yeah, address <laughs> uh, mark, of course. What a what a career, man. Because when you watch that, you just really just you know, it goes without saying. Just appreciate the movies and the diverse type of movies he's made over the years. Is how many great ones? It's just yeah. astonishing.
1: Did the Lost World come out before? Uh, Schindler's List, or did it come
2: out after? No, it was after. That's crazy. I keep forgetting about this, but watching the documentary, Schindler's List and Jurassic Park came out the same year.
1: Yeah, he did it back to back, right? And he got kind of burned out after that, right? And that's why he doesn't he doesn't do sequels, or he didn't do a sequel
2: for a long time. Yeah, well, Lost World was after that. I don't think there was any. There might have been something in between, but I don't think so. So I think Lost World was the next one after both of those movies. Yeah.
1: But oh, yeah, it's no just idea. crazy, though.
2: you know, two totally different types of movies. Yeah. You know, both being, you know, so well received and being great as, you know, being a total opposite, you know, and just how much how hard it was for him to do Schindler's List and then the, the, to do Jurassic Park right after. I mean, just to have two movies like that in the same year, just, what a really great feat for anyone to do.
1: Was it um, Jurassic Park or was it Lost
2: World? No, it was Jurassic Park, the first one.
1: Oh, okay. So he did Jurassic Park or Schindler's List and Jurassic Park at the same time. Yeah. I mean, back to back. Yeah. Well, that explains a lot. Like, you know, it seemed like Schindler's List was a passion project for mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg. And then he did Jurassic Park. And then was Lost World after that?
2: pretty sure yeah
1: yeah yeah no no wonder that kind of didn't turn out so well because <laughs> he he must have been exhausted
2: yeah I mean, it's crazy how sometimes he has movies like the same year or or the next year right after I mean, he's always busy he talks about that too how he says you know he doesn't like it where he's in between projects he doesn't have any any ideas or something he needs to constantly keep working uh that's just the way he he does things and it explains why he has so many movies come out so close together
1: did you see that um ready player one
2: yeah i actually saw that last weekend <laughs> i liked it a lot actually oh really mm-hmm. i thought it was good oh. especially for those of us who are into video games a lot there's a lot of stuff you'd appreciate <laughs> as being video games oh there's there, like so. a lot
1: of references or whatever
2: mm-hmm. and not just like familiar characters just how gaming works in general and the stuff they bring into you know the story of of the movie was really like stuff that gamers i think would appreciate
1: what i mean this is i I can easily look this up but i don't know if i really it really matters but (laughs) what 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 is that movie about
2: it's pretty much you know escaping into a virtual reality experience i mean It's called the Oasis. It's like it's in the future. And of course, things take a turn from the words. It's not like a post-apocalyptic world type thing. It's just, you know, things like the economy in certain areas are really bad. And people pretty much just use this new technology called the Oasis to escape. And that's pretty much drives, you know, the economics in the world now where that's where all the money's at. So you got these big corporations wanting to, you know, abuse the format of the oasis take control of it and all that and so that's pretty much you know the economic structure of the country is based on that virtual reality program so that's why it's such a big deal in the course of the story and the basic premise of it the creator of it uh, he died but in his will like he left uh, an easter egg in the oasis the virtual reality realm where whoever finds it will have complete control of the oasis and plus and leaving them tons of money like i think it's at half a billion dollars or something like that so that's then you get people all there's three tests they got to accomplish throughout the course of the movie and in the oasis uh, in order to get three keys that allows access to that easter egg, and then they'll take control of it so you got players trying to find it and you got this big corporation wanting to have full control of the oasis who are after it being uh you know and the main villain of the film is played by uh, Ben Mendelsohn from Rogue One and Dark Knight Rises. So he's always great as a bad guy and entertaining. So he was fun to watch in this too. So that's the basic premise of it. But again, when you're in the Oasis, you can have any avatar you want. You can look like anyone. So that's why you see a bunch of familiar faces in there. There's plenty of Batman references and characters you see just walking around, like not even big parts. You just see familiar characters walking around in the background and stuff and different items they use for other movies. It's just, a really cool, you know, definitely a nostalgia trip. But again, it works in the premise of the film. I thought being based, you know, in a virtual reality game. So, so that's what, like I said, and then different reasonings and stuff they have to do to accompl- accomplish the task. They have to do to find that Easter egg. Just like a lot of gamers would pick up on it, which makes it fun. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. I haven't read the book. I know the. I remember the book getting rave reviews when it first came out a few years ago. So I, I knew about it, but I never read it. So this is my first exposure to what the story was. I can definitely see why so many people took to the book when that first came out. Well,
1: now that there's a movie, you don't have to read the book. That's the whole, that's
2: the, I've heard there's a lot of differences of course, between the books and the movies, but I don't know too much what those differences are just yet. I think a lot of the, from what I read, the challenges in the book are different than what's in the movie But I enjoy what I got in the movie. So maybe it's for the best.
1: I wonder, um, What's uh, Steven Spielberg doing after that? Or what is he doing now?
2: I believe it's Indiana Jones 5. That's his next one. Really? Yeah. He's just going straight into that. Unless he has something else like we are talking about. We know how he's still working on yeah. a lot of projects at the same time. So maybe he might have one other film coming before Indy 5. But that should be his next main one if I, if I remember right. The, what the schedule supposed to be. Yeah, I see.
1: Um. So yeah, that's it for our news. And now we can move on to our conversation with alex slash listener feedback and did we get an email from jordan tim
2: uh yes we did okay you want to read that yep and jordan begins his email as always hey tim and dane and alex i loved hearing your guys thoughts on batman and mr freeze sub-zero i love that film in contrast to what you guys were saying it's actually one of the three batman films that i think i've seen the most numbers of times in my life along with batman beyond return of the joker and the batman versus dracula that's not to say that those are my top three favorites, although they are they are all very high on my list. But they are three movies, animated or live action, that I've watched the greatest amount of times. Sub-Zero and Return of the Joker I had on VHS as far back as I can remember. They were the first two animated Batman movies I ever saw, and when I watched them religiously growing up. As for the Batman vs. Dracula, that one didn't come out until 2005. But as you guys know, I was a massive fan of the animated series The Batman as soon as I got the Batman vs. Dracula on DVD, I watched it constantly. So that's the reason why those are the three Batman films I've seen the most. All three films in the Dark Knight trilogy will all probably surpass them eventually as time goes on. But for now, Sub-Zero, Return of the Joker, and Batman vs. Dracula are still at the top of the list. Talking about Sub-Zero in particular now, I just find it to be such an incredible Mr. Freeze story. Brilliantly continuing on the deep freeze. I love how it's truly a Bat-Family movie too, including Batman, Robin, and Batgirl, the latter of whom was severely short-changed in the original run of Batman the Animated Series prior to the new Batman adventures. I love how the film explores uh, the dick babs relationship and the scene between them at the party is so sweet. The movie has a lot of suspense, particularly in the scenes where Barbara is being kidnapped and when she tries to escape. Then there's the beautiful ending on the movie, to the movie, which always makes me cry, just like it does Mr. Freeze. It's a fantastic film. Oh, and it came out the year I was born, so if I always thought that was a cool that was cool about it. I haven't seen the HD remaster yet. It isn't available on Amazon Video, but I definitely plan to purchase it after it does become available. Yeah, I don't don't think you'll de- or I should say you'll definitely won't be disappointed when you see it in HD, like I said in last episode when I reviewed it this looks really great. The colors are just going to pop out yet, pop out at you. And I I wish you didn't say you but, came out when you were born, Jordan. Because that just makes me feel even older. (laughs) I was 15 when that movie came out in 98. To hear that, that's when you were born. Like, oh, man. (laughs) Uh, This old man.
1: (laughs) See, how old was I in 98? 10.
2: Yeah, well, better than being born that year, but that doesn't help me feel any younger days. Just (laughs) five years older than you. Yeah. (laughs) But Jordan continues saying the death of Superman sneak peek look really cool, too. I will say that because of my aversion to resurrection due to them being an overused trope of the superhero genre that take away from the impact of a death initially and reduce the stakes moving forward. I've always had a fundamental problem with the story. But other than that, I think there's a lot to be excited about with this film. It's so great to finally be getting another solo Superman film in the DCU AOM line the first five years and or the first in five years. And it's also cool that it'll be the first solo Superman film in the New 52-inspired shared universe. Yes, I'm using the term solo loosely because after because other Justice Leaguers will be in the movie. But I still think it counts. I actually am very glad that this movie will be in the New 52-inspired shared universe, since it'll further make it stand apart from Superman Doomsday. It feeling too much like a retread was a concern of mine when this originally was announced, since I actually really like Superman Doomsday, save for my general gripe about Resurrections. I also am just glad they are continuing to expand the New 52 inspired universe. It's grown so much over the past few years. One thing that's intrigued me about this sneak peek is that they are bringing in Lois. I'm curious how they'll do this as they were exploring the New 52 Superman Wonder Woman romance previously. As a Klana shipper, I'm not getting what I truly want either way. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be throwing Lana Lang in there as a relationship for Superman in these animated movies. And for the Wonder Woman, yeah, they definitely tease it, especially in the uh just lee war it's one of atlantis but not enough to where i think him having a relationship with lois would f- feel so out of the blue or like he's cheating on wonder woman or anything so to speak so and you get, definitely got to have that Lois dynamic when you're doing the depth of superman she's a big part of what makes that you know seeing the loss of superman so devastating so definitely glad they're bringing her in one way or the other uh, my oh my did i love batman 44 what end issue spoilers It wasn't quite what I expected, to be honest, but it was so amazing nonetheless. Tom King has been brilliantly paying homage to the rich history of the Bat-Cat relationship throughout his run, especially through Bruce and Selena's cute debates about whether they met on the boat or on the street. And King King continues the trend here. I love all the flashbacks to so many moments throughout the history of the Bat-Cat relationship dating back to 1940. I love the one from Batman 1 as it reinforces the idea that Bruce is right in the boat versus street debate. And I'm team boat. But my favorite flashback is the one to the Batman Hush interlude. That was so cool to see, as I love that moment from Hush. The art of this issue was spectacular. Mikhail Yannon did an excellent work recreating the classic Batcat moments in the flashbacks. And in the present day scenes with uh, Selena, Joelle Jones continues to come cement herself as my second favorite comic book artist ever, as I mentioned in my last email. It was really awesome. Selena picked out that gorgeous wedding dress that Jones had designed and the issue was such a great lead into the wedding. Bat-cat forever, from the first kiss to the last. While I'm on the subject of Jones's art, I'm so excited about the news that she'll be writing and drawing a Catwoman solo title. It'll be so great to have a Catwoman solo title again. As much as I love what Tom King has done with Catwoman in Batman Rebirth, I really, really have. <laughs> it was disappointed at the start of Rebirth when Catwoman's new 52 title, which ended on a very strong note, ended and she didn't get her own Rebirth book. I can never get enough Catwoman, so it'll be an awesome to now get her in King's Batman run, where she's really the second lead, and, and now in her own book. The first issue releases on the same day as the Batcat wedding, July 4th. I didn't think I could be any more excited for July 4th than I already was, but now I am. I'm ecstatic about Jones drawing the book. Her cover for issue one is amazing, and I can't wait to see what she does as a writer, as I've never read anything she's written. Yeah, the Bat or the Catwoman solo book coming. I'm, I'm curious to see what's it going to be. Is it going to be, you know, showing Catwoman how she deals with married life and juggles her time as Catwoman and kind of more of what we're getting already in Batman, what Tom King's doing? Or is it going to be, you know, <laughs> a solo title because of a fallout, what happens from the wedding? Because if there's something happens where they don't get married and we're going to see what Catwoman's doing <laughs> after that. So uh, I don't want to, you know, be a Debbie Downer on the excitement for the wedding here, Jordan. But I'm just curious to see what this book's going to be. I'm hoping myself it's not something where uh, the wedding gets called off or they don't go through with it and now she's off doing her own thing in a solo book. Uh, I wouldn't want to see that. I just am curious to see what it's going to be about. And I agree it is good to have her own book again. Uh, I know it's been a while since since she had one, but let alone since I've (laughs) read a Catwoman book since the New 52. So, you know, hopefully if everything... Works out good with the wedding story and it sets up a new status quo for her and Bruce and resonates for her to have her own title, uh, which should be cool to see. I'm just curious, you know, what exactly it's going to be about. But we'll find out in July. But Jordan continues saying one other news item that I wanted to touch on is in some comments that Michael Rosenbaum and Tom Welling made at AwesomeCon. The last two weeks have been very good news this week for me, he says. Uh, They had two panels at that convention. They were on a General Superman one and on a Smallville-specific one, both of which are amazing and can be watched online. At the Smallville-specific panel, Michael and Tom said they'd be open to doing a Smallville reunion in the form of an animated series, and Michael even mentioned he'd spoken to Al Goff about it. I'd actually been campaigning for the idea of a Smallville animated reunion prior to them saying this. I was thinking an animated film in the vein of the Batman 66 movies rather than a series, but an animated series would be even better in my opinion. It's so great to hear that Michael and Tom would be game for this. If this comes to fruition, my hope is that they'd set it after the season 11 comics so that we could get a new story in the small of universe. But even if they adapted something originally from the season 11 comics, I'd totally be on board with that too. Crossing my fingers that this happens. And oh, I wouldn't no. mind, I wouldn't mind seeing that happen yeah. as well in animated form. Like you brought up, Jordan brought up a good point with the Batman 66 movies, how good those turned out. Of course, tonally it'd be totally different. <laughs> from Smallville and the Adam West show. But just that idea that that medium is available to do new stories uh, from old TV shows with the same actors is a great avenue to go about bringing those new stories. So if they're both open for it, I mean, why not? And I would hope they kind of take from the season 11 comics, especially the Batman one, because I would love to see that (laughs) played out on screen because I did like that story.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure about Smallville.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, has it been getting the greatest of buzz the last few days (laughs) with some of their former actors and actresses. (laughs) But don't let the one, you know, actions of an actress on the show stain the whole work and stories created by others. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a lot of people involved with that and. You know, so sometimes, and I don't mean to offend Jordan, but sometimes I forget that uh, Tom Welling was a Superman. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a well, same, same thing with uh, Brandon Ralph. I, I sometimes I totally forget about um, I would, that he was a Superman.
2: I would say more so with Brandon Ralph because he only played Superman once, yeah. and yeah, but you know, he's thing, moved on.
1: The thing about Brandon Ralph is they promoted him so much. Like, mm-hmm. like, oh, how he looks like Christopher Reeve. And, you know, he was he was the image, right? And they were bringing back Superman. And then, I can't remember what happened. Did it not make you enough money?
2: Yeah, it didn't yeah. do that well with the box office. And just the buzz around it and reactions wasn't that great either. It wasn't horrible, but not what they were looking for, I think, to kick off a new franchise. Yeah.
1: But, yeah, yep. so I, I, I forget that he's a superman as well as uh
2: brandon i mean uh tom welling see i'll i'll always remember tom welling as clark well, superman not really because he didn't get to be superman until the very last <laughs> few minutes of the ep- of the whole series so but you know he played clark kent for 10 seasons so he's had a lot of time to you know ingrain himself as one of the you know actors to play superman at least that i've seen so i'll always remember him as playing clark kent but uh Brandon Roth, I was going to say, too, the fact that he moved on to play another DC character, Ray Palmer, in the TV show uh, also kind of makes you forget sometimes that he was Superman because he has been the Adam now for so long. He does a great job as the Adam, too. But not to where you forget, oh, yeah, he was Superman, just that you don't associate him with Superman as you would originally. At least I don't, because, like I said, there's been other portrayals of Superman yeah. recently. And we've seen Brandon Roth play another character just as well maybe I don't know I'm tempted to say maybe better than he did Superman because I didn't not hate I didn't hate his performance as Superman I just think it like I said too much of a Christopher Reeve impression and I think his Clark Kent was way better than his Superman so his Superman performance was a mixed bag for me it's not horrible it's just you know not the best and I prefer him as Ray Palmer <laughs> in the Adam now I prefer him as uh, Dylan Dog remember he was in that movie <laughs> Yeah,
1: that's right. <laughs> Was that is that a DC movie? I don't think so. Dylan but...
2: Dog. Yeah.
1: will look it is up. It really like quick. like
2: a secret, secret agent type thing.
1: I don't know anything about that. <laughs> um, yeah, let's
2: let's do a search for it real quick.
1: Yeah. I don't think no, it's not a DC thing. It's no, it's a horror comic series.
2: Yeah. I'm just looking at the cover right now. It's, it's like him like the character dylan dog was a like a mandat type creature yeah. <laughs> behind the same clothes i guess he turns into uh different monsters or whatnot but yeah what yeah. what what? Will, i don't uh, know where i got a secret agent thing from but i maybe confusing him with something else but, he's a paranormal
1: pa- paranormal investigator there you go
2: okay 2010 that's when that came out sam, i don't think that did very good sam huntington wow.
1: was in it Tay diggs was in it <laughs>
2: look at its rotten tomato score hold on
1: eight well, percent
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the highest of ratings
1: <laughs> um the consensus consensus stating or the consensus is that it's an uninspired feebly acted horror comedy that produces little scares <laughs> and laughs well at least it got a, a a positive review you know it's a good mo B movie inspired by a great top league european comic so at least there's that
2: yeah well eight percent you know it's it's very very low but that yeah. means there's at least one or two positive reviews out there so yeah.
1: hold on it only made uh, 1.2 million domestically
2: ouch on a, t- on
1: a 20 million dollar budget oh man uh, f- uh, 4
2: million worldwide <laughs> Oh yeah! No matter what the score is, the studio ain't going to be happy about those box office results. Uh, no! Uh, Kurt
1: Angle is in <laughs> it, the professional wrestler. Oh man! <laughs>
2: uh, I don't know, but instead of renting uh, Suicide Squad, Hell to Pay, maybe you should rent Bill and Dave. <laughs> it's, isn't it wet, wetting your appetite to uh, see something ab- I was about
1: to say, <laughs> I, I might have to see this. I mean, eight percent, eight percent on a. On uh, Rotten Tomatoes.
2: It's so bad. It's got to be good. (laughs)
1: It's got to be good. Uh,
2: Yes. Well, I don't think um, unlike Dylan Dog, we'll be obviously forgot about that. We won't be forgetting Superman before Dylan Dog. (laughs) 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 Thankfully. But as always, Jordan has a couple of questions to wrap up his email. He goes, what are your top five favorite animated Batman scenes of all time? Animated movies and series are valid here. My list has largely been altered thanks to Batman Gotham by Bat, Gaslight. For me, it's number five, Mr. Freeze's monologue to Batman about never again being able to walk on a hot summer's day with the hot wind in your face and a warm hand to hold from Heart of Ice. And number four, the final DCU or the DCAU confrontation between Batman and the Joker and the flashback Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. Uh, number three, Bruce and Selina riding off with the rest of the Bat family at the end of Batman Gotham by Bat, Gaslight. Number two, the scene between Bruce and Selina in the carriage in Gotham by Gaslight. And number one, Bruce and Selina talking about their past in Selina's room in Gotham by Gaslight. Yeah, this is really hard to think about, especially the more we get animated movies and series. But I actually made a list or a video, actually a YouTube video back in 2011 of my top 10 favorite animated Batman moments. So if you want to check that out, Jordan, just go to YouTube, type in best or top 10 best animated Batman moments you'll find my videos with my name on there just take what my list was from 2011 but uh after reading your email I went back to watch those videos to see if I still feel that way and I think I'd have to redo them <laughs> about certain moments in the spots that they're in and ones that I didn't put on there now I'm thinking about man how can I leave this out or how do I have that one as low as I did it should have been higher so Check out those videos, and then now you'll hear my top five choices (laughs) right now. So number five, I'm going to go with uh, Batman stays with Ace in Justice League Unlimited Epilogue. That moment is so great. It's such a touching moment uh, for Batman and Ace staying with her until the end, until she dies. So this is a great moment for Batman, just showing how caring that he is. And then number four, I'm going to go... the Graveyard scene, slash, the Batman moment in Master of the Phantasm, where we see Bruce just begging for his parents' forgiveness for wanting to back out on his promise that he made to them. And then how that uh cultivates into after Andrea leaves him, we see that uh, iconic scene of him in the back cave putting on the cape and cow for the first time. It's so great, goosebumps <laughs> every time I see that. And then number three, I'm gonna go with um, this one. I was, if you watched my video, I would have under the red hood ending that whole sequence with his fight with Jason Todd and then uh, the debate they had about killing the Joker. I love that. But now that I think about it, I might have had it a little too high. So number three, I'm thinking of having that one on there, but I'm actually going to go with another one that I think is one of my favorite animated Batman moments, which is from Brave and the Bold, where Batman confronts Joe Chill, the man who killed his parents. And again, uh, going back to one of my favorite comic stories, The Untold Legend of the Batman, and but that being that where I first saw that moment of batman confronting his parents killer just always stood out to me and then seeing that done in animation for the first time after i waited years to see it be adapted the fact that they did it so well and Brave of the bold and doing it for dialogue by dialogue is how it was in the comic but just such an awesome moment for me so that'll always stick out as one of my favorite animated batman moments the number two i'm going to go with uh, a sequence from the animated series robin's reckoning part one my favorite batman the animated series episode that moment where Uh, Bruce tells Dick, you know, how his parents were killed, too. And they just like that was the moment where they first connected and had that bond that would last uh, you know, a lifetime for them. Just, you know, how similar their childhoods were with losing their parents and how Bruce tells Dick, you know, the hurt never goes away, but it does get better. Just great emotional stuff there. But my number one pick, it's still my number one pick now. And it was when I made that video. Back in 2011, it's the end or that flashback sequence in Return of the Joker. It's just so spectacular. It's, to me, the perfect final scenario sequence you can have of Batman versus the Joker. What Joker did to Batman by, you know, corrupting uh, Tim Drake and making him making him crazy and then wanting him to kill Batman. But it turns on his head with uh, Tim killing the Joker but the way that Joker presented it to Batman showing him those videos and then revealing he knows his identity just so such awesome stuff there especially when you're watching it for the first time after you grew up watching the animated series and knowing you know everything that Batman and the Jokers went through and then you hear him call Batman Bruce this just you know uh, chill inducing another moment that gives you chills so that will always be my favorite just everything the Joker and Batman and that they represent as a hero and a villain all you know, coming to a head in this moment for it being the final one, it couldn't have been done any better. So those would be my top five. But I, yeah, definitely check out that video I made back in 2011 about my 10 favorite animated moments. I'll be curious to hear what you think of my choices I have on there. Again, I would probably have to redo it now <laughs> to, for a new top 10. But back in 2011, those were my favorites. So let me know what you think of those choices if you get a chance to watch that video. Or I should say videos because I had to split it up into – uh, three parts, I believe, because I couldn't fit all of it. <laughs> YouTube wouldn't allow me to upload a video that long.
1: Um,
2: for me, probably, uh, I'm just
1: going to give you a couple. Probably the scene in Heart of Ice where uh, uh, Alfred gives Bruce the chicken chicken soup. Mm-hmm. That's probably <laughs> my favorite uh, scene from that uh, episode.
2: Um, Even more so than the Emotional Mr. Freezing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, everybody's got to have some chicken soup handy, right?
2: Only way to fight a cold.
1: (laughs) Um, Two, uh, or I'm not even numbering this. Um, My next one is, uh, like you mentioned, the the end scene of um, Under the Red Hood. Um, My next one is or and my final one, I guess, is, of course, I mean, I'm surprised you didn't mench- mention this, Tim. I don't know how you missed this, but of course it's the scene in with, uh with Bruce and Barbara in the Killing Joke. <laughs> oh, and, <man. laughs> no, 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 my, ah. my my favorite one, my favorite absolute favorite, is the uh just the intro of the animated series. I've always liked that. It never gets old for me. I always, never skip it. I always watch the entire thing, and was kind of let down with. Um, I'm not sure who does it. Uh, Warner Brothers, how they cut that out um, uh-huh. of some of the uh, r- releases. I think the uh, digital release that I got on Amazon. I th- oh no, uh, iTunes doesn't have it. So. Yeah, it, uh, that it, stinks. Yeah, it's just the uh, the little animated segment of uh, Bugs Bunny ch- chomping into the carrot next to the Warner Brothers logo, and then it goes straight into the title card. So, oh, wow.
2: Uh, I'm surprised they do that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Kind of, not really ruined it, but just kind of let me down on that one. Um, so, yeah, probably
2: just the, the intro of... Uh, the animated series it's a good choice yeah it, it is it is an iconic opening sequence it, it is hard to skip you're right when you watch it no yeah. matter how many times you yeah go back.
1: I, I i never skip it i always watch the entire thing um so yeah it's a
2: perfect length too yeah, it's not too long or it makes you feel like you should skip it and you're just enjoying it every time the music yeah
1: yeah right right
2: All right, and Jordan's second question is, how would you rank the seven crossovers that the new Batman Adventures had with the DC Animated Universe shows? My ranking is number seven, The Demon Reborn from Superman, the animated series. Number six, Big Leagues from Static Shock. Number five, Hard as Nails from Static Shock. Number four, Future Shock from Static Shock. And number three, Nighttime from Superman. Number two, Girls' Night Out from Batman. And number one, World's Finest. Yeah, for me, it's not going to be seven. It's all going to be five because I haven't seen two of those Static Shock episodes. Um, I did see one Big Leagues, but I haven't seen the other two. Static Shock and like, Static Shock, the Zeta Project. I know those are in the DC animated universe continuities, but those are shows I never really watched all the way through. But my list would go number five, Big Leagues. Number four, Girls' Night Out. Number three, The Demon Reborn. I just think that concept of Rachel Google wanted to, you know, take Superman's body to such a, a great idea. And he would definitely be the most unstoppable force on Earth if he got that. So I like always like that episode. Number two, Nighttime. It's, this is just a plain fun episode with seeing Superman try to be Batman and Tim Drake trying to tell him how Batman would do things. It was just really, really fun. I always love that one. And then World's Finest. How can that not be number one? Just the crossover of all crossovers. Still, the, one of my favorite Batman and Superman stories of, of how they first met, teaming up. To take down the Joker and Luthor. And that moment of Batman first confronting Superman, them discovering each other's identities is so, so well done. So, yeah, Wells Finest definitely has to be my number one as far as crossover goes. Uh, Let's see if I can think of one, Tim. Uh, (laughs) um,
1: Didn't they do a crossover with. uh, I can't even remember, but uh, didn't they do a animated episode of alan moore's for the man who has everything
2: yeah that was in uh, that was a justice league episode oh so not really a crossover yeah just Uh, just batman wonder woman superman (laughs) well i will pick that one
1: and make like it's a (laughs) crossover (laughs) well it is a fantastic episode so (laughs) even better comic so yeah yeah that that's gonna be my pick
2: and that's it for Jordan's questions and emails. So, as always, thank you, Jordan, for sharing in your thoughts and giving us some good questions to go over, especially when they have to deal with the animated series. It always makes it tough for me to decide <laughs> and make a top five list <laughs> yeah. when it comes to that animated series. Because so, there's so much awesomeness when it comes to those series.
1: And let me just say, uh, Bruce and Barbara is better than Bruce and Selena. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> no, I think I Jordan's going to stop the podcast <laughs> no, right no, now. No, no. <laughs> he, he, he'll never send in another email. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Bing. Thanks a lot. Uh,
2: yeah, I don't think you'll ever hear any Batman fan say that. <laughs> I would be shocked if I heard anyone take the Batman Barber relationship over any of his relationships. That was so bad. Yeah. That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so, you know, we, n- now we can move on to our um, comic book reviews. And like we say at the beginning of every single comic book review, uh, there's going to be a lot of spoilers in this in this uh, part of the podcast. So if you haven't read your books, you might want to pause this right now and come back to this later. So um, for this episode, we are going to be reviewing Detective Comics number 978, Batman number 45, and Batman TMNT 2 number 6. I think they got to rename that comic.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's the, when they do a sequel, just don't have a numerical as part of the title, like number two, just give it a subtitle. That's it. Batman TMNT attack on the Technodrome or something like that. Or (laughs) how about Batman and Ninja Turtles? (laughs) Batman and the Ninja Turtles. Yeah. You you want to take out the teenage mutant part of it?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just because there's not enough room on the the comic to do that.
2: Uh, That's why they got to put the abbreviation of TMNT.
1: Isn't that what they call the... The movies now? Just Ninja Turtles?
2: No, uh, at first, I think, but then I yeah. think they heard a backlash that they had to put back the Teenage Mutant part of it. <laughs> oh.
1: How's that franchise doing? Is it, are, are, are they going to make another movie? No, uh, I think the movies
2: right now are dead. The last yeah. one did not perform good, so... <laughs> really? Uh, didn't, didn't make as much as the first one. What uh, What is the number on that? Uh, I don't even remember, but... Not what they were looking for, I guess. It didn't have a great opening weekend, and I don't even know if it made it. I don't think it made like a hundred million or anything like that.
1: Let me uh,
2: check that really quick. The thing was, I know it was better received from turtle fans than the first one was, but Chris Evans was in it. No, he was in the TMNT animated one back in two thousand seven. Oh, the first one. Well, it's not really the first one. It technically could have been considered the fourth one out of the original movies because it takes place in that continuity. But he was the voice of Casey Jones in that animated movie.
1: Was it uh, Teenage Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows? Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, let's yeah. see. So what did it make? Uh, $135 million on a $245 million budget. Yeah. So it barely made half... Of it's budget back.
2: Which is not good. <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, Tony so, Shaloub was in it.
2: <laughs> who?
1: Tony Shalhoub. Uh, I,
2: don't, I don't know who he plays. <laughs> Splinter. Oh, that's yeah. that's right. <laughs> he um, does the voice of... Uh, well, who does... Because the guy... I forget the actor's name. Uh, is it Tony Shalhoub? The one, the the little guy who played Mickey on Seinfeld, Kramer's friend. Um, he, I'm not sure. He okay, he, he played, he played uh, Monk. He played and Splinter he played, on like on set, but someone else did his voice. And was it Tony Shalhoub? I guess?
1: Yeah, yeah. T- uh, Tony, Sh- Tony Shalhoub did the voice, and then Peter D. Batalamanti did the motion <laughs> capture. Okay. <laughs> um. Megan Fox as April. Mm-hmm. Oh, Stephen Amell was in it?
2: Yeah, he was Casey, Casey Jones. Jones?
1: Uh, wow.
2: He did good. It was a different take on Casey Jones, but I like yeah. his performance in the role.
1: Uh, Will Arnett, uh, Lego Batman was in it.
2: Yep. Yeah, had some funny. Fun. Tyler Perry was in it. Yep, Baxter Stockman, though he did not turn into a fly.
1: A mad <laughs> scientist who allies with Shredder in the latter's aims to take over New York City. Hmm. Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> DeAndre Jordan, Lou Amundsen, J.J. Reddick, Austin Rivers, Matt Barnes, and Spencer Hawes. W- w- why is there so many uh, NBA players in this
2: movie? <laughs> because at the beginning they go to a basketball game. <laughs> and oh, I a lot see. Of- yeah, a lot of real players there. So one of them slips on a pizza <laughs> that the turtles dropped from the ceiling <laughs> rafters.
1: But. It's it, it, it's kind of like how uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers were in Dark and <laughs> Yeah,
2: <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Except that they get some lines though, in this movie.
1: Let's see what what's its Rotten Tomatoes mm-hmm. score. I think it's uh, thirty seven.
2: Thirty seven higher than what yeah. I thought.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just like that. Uh, the Rock. Um, rampage movie. Is that a twenty seventeen? No, it, it it's the highest rated comic book. I mean, a uh, video game movie. Oh uh, wow! <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes, you got a fifty one, I think.
2: Yeah, that's well it tells you what it says about comic book or a uh, video yeah. game movies. <laughs> <laughs> now we know comic book movies have much higher ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. Just look at the Dark Knight trilogy. But but you know what I'm thinking about the
1: the Ninja Turtles movies. I think they need star actors as Mm. the Turtles
2: no they don't (laughs) I wouldn't want that the guys who played the Turtles in this movie were actually really really good
1: because I've never heard of these guys
2: no but they they were true to the characters and got their personalities down right so oh really Mm -hmm. yeah oh well I I, I I, would kind of like it if the Turtles I mean if they were taken a little more seriously how kind of how they are in the comics we got like a Netflix show kind of how Daredevil is yeah turtles out would be awesome that's what i would hope to see have a little smaller budget doesn't need to be outlandish like the last the last movie was i mean if you wanted to go where there's a lot of mutants and aliens with the turtles can have but which would be cool to see but if you want to strip it down have it be more you know uh streamlined you can do a great tv show to kind of Cabbage street level which you know the turtles have plenty of great stories for so i think that a netflix route would be amazing but i don't know if that's ever going to happen <laughs>
1: Is that the problem? It just, Is it
2: too campy? The movies were, yeah. They oh. were trying to have it based more on the original 80s show. Yeah. So they wanted to capture some of that campiness with it too. But there's been so much more better adaptions to Turtles than the 87 cartoon series that had the fun aspect, but take them seriously as well. So,
1: Yeah, and you know, I, I, I kind of feel sorry for uh, Ninja Turtle fans because they haven't really got a good movie
2: now the first movie is awesome. <laughs> that's the, it's just in general. I think it's an underrated comic book movie, but that's right now is the perfect turtle movie that we're going to get. It it stuck really close to the source material, those original comics. Yeah, and the the fighting was really good in those suits too. And they, the suits still look great. Probably is still the best representation of the turtles for a movie. Wait, you're, you're,
1: you're talking about the 1990 movie? Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, those things are horrifying.
2: <laughs> they got horrifying like the second one and the third one though man you should look at the costumes for the third one they look god awful <laughs> really yeah oh i gotta, I gotta. The <laughs> so quality definitely declined as the so sequels came out
1: i i have to rent dylan dog and i gotta rent the third <laughs> teenage mutant yes Ninja movie. uh also the the i i think that the uh the Original movies, right? They did three of them, right? Mm-hmm. I think the second one is called The Secret of the Ooze. Yep. That is probably the best um, title <laughs> of a movie.
2: It's not bad.
1: Is that the one with uh, Vanilla Ice? Yes, it is. Oh. That's where
2: its extra budget went to. Instead of making the costumes look better, they gave it to <laughs> Vanilla Ice. <laughs>
1: Oh, I think I, I think I gotta watch the whole trilogy, Tim. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you got to. The first two are very, like I said, the first one's great, The second one's enjoyable. Besides some, you know, campy stuff with vanilla eyes and all that stuff. And then <laughs> The third one is just that's like Batman and Robin level, where you could probably get some enjoyment out of it because it's so bad. <laughs> yeah.
1: Didn't he uh, release or did didn't he also do the soundtrack for that?
2: Uh, just one song, the Ninja Rap.
1: <laughs> I gotta listen to that.
2: <laughs> You'll recognize when you hear it. The Go Ninja, Go Ninja. Go. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe when you're when you're doing your uh, comic reviews, I'll I'll listen to that. Okay. Then <laughs> so you can give me your review your review of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'll do.
3: Uh,
1: but anyway, <laughs> that that was a big sidetrack. I don't I don't even know how we got onto that.
2: Well, it's because we're going to review the Batman team. Oh, yeah, come. right, right. <laughs> um,
1: so, yeah, a rating scale for this episode, I guess, has to do something with those original trilogy movies.
2: How about uh, amount of the budget that went to Vanilla Ice instead of, like, <laughs> Turtle's costume? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that sounds like a good, a good one. So, okay. our rating scale for this one is going to be amount of the budget that didn't go to the uh, special effects and the Turtle costumes and went to Vanilla Ice instead.
2: <laughs> yeah, so sad so sad <laughs> but in a way that's what gives that movie its charm even as dumb as it is <laughs> i've seen vanilla ice there it's still a part of that movie
1: <laughs> I, I think uh vanilla ice i mean you can have your regular movie let's say the dark knight right great movie But can you imagine how much better it would have been with Vanilla Ice in it?
2: (laughs) Hey, they're at a nightclub sequence for a little bit in the movies. They could have panned down and showed Vanilla Ice performing there, (laughs) just like the Turtles movie. Could (laughs) have contributed a song to the soundtrack. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I think it would have gotten its Oscar nomination if it had that. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. So that's on Christopher Nolan for messing that up. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. But anyway... Detective Comics number 978. No vanilla ice appearance in this issue. so <laughs> Don't
1: want to get grossed so, Oh Yeah, it's not good then. No, right? so,
2: <laughs> zero out of five. So that's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> no, but this one's continuing the fall of the Batman or the Batman Eternal story art. And it picks up right a little bit after where the last issue ended where two of the colony soldiers, their suits were hijacked and they just shot up a bunch of mobsters and we get the aftermath of that of uh, bruce and tim in the Batcave. cave uh, batman took the colony soldiers back to the cave and then we get a little flashback sequence of showing uh, bruce and tim trying to take him down but they kill i think like 18 monsters already they were just too late to save them and tim's kind of questioning bruce why did you take him in here i know batwoman's behind this who else is going to do this and it's dangerous to bring them to the Batcave. that means the rest of the colony is going to come but batman's you know of course being a little more skeptical i like how he calls tim out here saying you know you're supposed to be a detective so but you're letting your emotions uh, get the better of you here just because of, you know, the mystery of the future timeline and what your future self told you about Batwoman. So, you know, Batman has to get more of the facts here. I mean, he knows where he's going to get him, but he's going to leave Tim here and to the back to watch things over uh, with those colony soldiers. So uh, Bruce ends up going to um, his mother's old house, uh, the Kane Mansion. This is great. Uh, splash page where it shows Bruce entering the mansion. It's very dark, the the house, but there's this great lighting of Batman walking up the stairs into the house. This is a great visual piece in the comic that really stood out to me that I loved. So he goes in there to meet uh, Batwoman and her father, Colonel Kane, there uh, to kind of straighten this whole thing out. Where, you know, Bruce thinks they're behind this, you know, doing this with their soldiers, taking out the mob bosses. Uh, you know, the fact that Catwoman killed Clayface and the argument they had there uh, like Tim alluded to, it's not totally out of the realm of possibility that this would be the colony's next step. But then uh Batwoman is countering, saying, you know, uh starting to think that maybe, you know, somebody's trying to pit us against each other. And you know how Tim Drake uh kind of has a grudge against me now, but especially what this future self was saying. So they're basically questioning each other about who the things behind all this. And we know that it is uh Ulysses uh, who hacked those colony suits and he makes his president known uh, in this issue <laughs> that he's behind all of it as a uh, back in the back cave with Tim uh, gets a visit from Cassandra Kane, which this is a nice moment here, too, as she's kind of questioning, you know, everything they do is good. But Tim kind of reassured, or saying we try our best to do good, but we make mistakes. But I like how Tim tries to, you know, do his part and, you know, and what he can to help her cope with the loss of Clayface and you know how they used to, you know, read lines together from the play a Midsummer Night's Dream. And he's he's her, you know, do you need, need a new scene partner? I'd be happy to do it. And maybe, maybe we could start. But then it clicks with them, you know, about who's actually behind this and how this is being done, saying how, like, the bodies in the suits, they weren't ne- networked into the colony suits. They were, like, relying on a totally different network. And that makes them realize, you know, it was Ulysses um, who was doing that and putting nanites into their bodies through those suits. And so we get uh, Ulysses. Um, get him in his lair shaving his head for some reason when he gets revealed he wants to he's kind of call himself a colonel or a general I guess to make him look more like, uh, uh, like Batwoman's father <laughs> I guess since he worked with him so I guess in a strange way he's trying to uh, show his respect for him I don't he did actually say that but that's what I'm gathering for trying to look more like the colonel here uh, but he's hacking more suits um, from the colony and then he starts an attack against uh, Bruce and Cat or Kate Kane here in within Father in the uh, Kane home, and be, as he's making an attack on the Kane home, he infiltrates the Bat computers and he reveals himself to Tim. And pretty much his plan is how the whole purpose of hacking those colony suits and their soldiers was that he's going to turn him into Omax. And uh, at the end of the issue uh, reveals as um, of Tim, we would see Cassandra Kane just yelling like screaming or like questioning tim as elise is saying you know uh you're supposed to be in charge of this whole operation but even though you're not i still have you know a way for you to be a part of it and then the last page is seeing tim transform into a no mac <laughs> just screaming so uh this was it was a good issue you know showing where it's going i like i said like the character moments between batman and Batwoman. Uh, trying to get to the bottom of the mystery of who's hacked their suits. And then also the moment between Tim and Cassandra Kane was really good. I'm just not totally into the idea of, you know, the OMAX playing a role of what's looking to be the final arc of James Tinian runs here. And then Tim transforming into an OMAX. Just I don't know. doesn't seem to be you know, the way, I guess that I figured the story was to end on a grander note. Cause I, I know about brother, I and the OMAX from previous stories. Now the hasn't really been my favorite thing so the fact that the story is going to end on uh that front with bringing them into the picture and it's not horrible or anything it just i was kind of hoping for something a little different but uh, we'll see how it all wraps up so i'll give this issue a three and a half out of five amounts of the budget for our team and secret of the ooze that didn't go to the costumes it went to the ice. eyes so batman number 45 is next and hey tim before you get to batman number 45 can i
1: uh give my review of <laughs> go ninja go So ninja you go. watched it already okay yeah <laughs> I, 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 may, I don't yes, know very well can't <laughs> I don't know what you talked about with Detective Comics number nine seventy eight because I was <laughs> totally engrossed <laughs> in Vanilla Ice's Go Ninja Go Ninja Go. A masterpiece um, right? <laughs> masterpiece Tim uh, first off Ninja Turtles dancing that's that's number one on my list it's why i (laughs) i love this music video second um i don't understand why vanilla ice decided to put talking him talking about the song before the music video and after the music video
2: (laughs) see i don't remember that i just remember the sequence from the movie
1: he's like talking about like uh, receiving the script and what they were going to do with the secret of the ooze, I guess. Okay. <laughs> um, thirdly, yeah, you're right. Those, those Ninja Turtle outfits really, really needed the budget to go through yeah. that. <laughs> Cause I'm just looking at the, the steel shot at the end where they're holding vanilla. on, <laughs> <laughs> <And I'm just laughs> oh man, like, um, What's the purple one's name? Donatello. Donatello. His face—it looks terrible. It's him smiling, and uh, it doesn't. It, the, the mouth is open for some reason. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, the the, the budget should have went
2: to that. I just wait till you see the. You should look up the costumes for the third one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, uh,
1: I guess my last point is, um. I don't. I mean, I. I it, it's it, it's mostly just the beat of the song. It, it, it's mostly instrument, instrumental, and Vanilla Ice dancing, <laughs> rather than and just saying "Go to Go to Yeah, yeah Go to <laughs> <laughs> He only has like two, I guess, bars in it, or. Uh, yeah, there's a little. What you call it? Yeah.
2: There's like one or two verses of him yeah. rapping in
1: there. <laughs> but the rest of him is just doing that head nod dance. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> I think it's funny, too, how in the movie he sees like these turtles and these two monsters break into the nightclub. They're fighting. Yeah. And instead of, you know, helping, calling the police or something, getting out of there getting everyone to safety no i would have decided to still play the music and <laughs> all of a sudden these lyrics and uh, the beat just comes into the, <laughs> his head and he starts making up ninja rap
1: <laughs> yeah so uh hopefully they got their money's worth for that um uh if i were to give it a number i'd probably give it a three <laughs> out of five yes. uh dollars that should have went to the ninja turtles costumes rather than the uh rather than vanilla ice because i mean just the ninja turtles dancing period is definitely worth (laughs) every penny so uh yeah three out of five for me
2: okay so you got the ninja turtles dancing in the air so when i review batman number 45 here's i want you to look up next okay look up ninja turtles out of their shells concert tour Either just pictures or they might be videos of it. Okay, let me write this down. So what is it? To interview Ninja Turtles out of their shells tour.
1: Mutant Ninja Turtles out of their shell tour. Okay, all right. And then you can go and review uh, Batman number 45.
2: So Batman number 45 and this one was a weird one. It's starting off a new story arc before the Batman Catwoman wedding called The Gift. And it just starts off strangely with Green Lantern saying, you know, I can do anything. You don't think like the ring's supposed to not let us hurt ourselves with it, but I could do it. And it just starts with Green Lantern punching himself with the ring. And then we see Booster Gold looking like awkwardly as or strangely at what he just did. And so this whole issue is about burst, Booster Gold getting a gift for Batman but as I'm reading like what's going on this is like a different timeline different stuff strange things are going on here and so the basic premise of this issue is is that uh, Booster Gold wants to get Batman a gift and as we were talking about earlier with the man who has everything he got inspired by that and uh, what Superman went through and he wanted to give Batman the same thing and so he decided that what would be a good gift for Batman is if he stops Thomas and Martha Wayne from being murdered and bruce would be able to see how his life would be without you know being batman and his parents still being around but he had oh god oh what a way is... to interrupt the review but i'm glad <laughs> you had that reaction <laughs> oh my god oh man i don't think you can wait till i'm done with my batman 45 review i mean (laughs) i gotta hear it now
1: are 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 they actually playing
2: i don't think so (laughs) no i think it's just a recording that's going over these concerts they're not playing so so what is
1: this (laughs) i mean what what is is, is this like a tie a tie-in with the movie
2: no, just the, to milk the TMT franchise as much as they could during their height of their popularity. They actually had a concert tour. Really? Where, yeah, you would go see and perform that <laughs> with awful costumes and songs.
1: For one thing, the costumes look awful. Yeah. They look terrible. <laughs> are, are, are the mouths even moving? I doubt it. When, when they're singing? <laughs> Hold on. Uh, I'm in the middle of a guitar solo.
2: <laughs> a guitar or a kitar? Because I know <laughs> that's mainly what they use as kitars. Uh, <laughs> oh no, they're one's... not
1: moving. They're not moving. Or if they are, they're moving a v- very little. Because <laughs> uh, the look at that jean jacket. <laughs> 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 the denim vest. Yeah, yeah, yeah the <laughs> denim vest. Uh, oh. And yeah, what what I don't understand is who saw this?
2: <laughs> <laughs> who paid money um, for this? I I wonder how much tickets cost for that. Unfortunately, I didn't get to go as much as I looked <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately,
1: Tim. I mean, it, it it it's literally just people in ninja turtle costumes, fake playing instruments
2: and <laughs> just moving around
1: and moving around like like. Bands from the early '90s, <laughs> like New Kids on the blog and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, but S- Splinter and April do believe make appearances throughout the show. So,
1: <laughs> is there think, any tie-in with anything? Like the no. movies? Well, the,
2: yeah I think they had a tie-in with Pizza Hut, like a promotional thing for that. <laughs> That's like you got discounts on tickets, or you got a video of the concert, something like that.
1: Wow, really. I need this. I, I, I need this on DVD or <laughs> HD DVD or something. One of those v- VHS. You need a four
2: K. A four K.
1: Yeah, I, I I need this. I need to watch this entire thing. You know what? Never mind. I, I, I'm gonna stop doing this podcast right now just to watch this. This entire thing. I mean, this <laughs> needs to be seen.
2: I mean, okay. Okay, as I. Go through my Batman Forty Five review. I got to give you something else to watch if you're once you're done with that.
1: I'm, I'm not going to be done with this till <laughs> I watch the whole thing.
2: But it ties into that. You're going to have more stuff to watch. Okay. Okay. Believe it or not, these turtles, the out of their shells contortor, were on the Oprah Winfrey Show no for an interview. Way. Mm-hmm. No way.
1: <laughs> In the turtle costumes.
2: In the turtle costumes. Yeah. Uh, Denim vest and all.
1: <laughs> I. I need to watch this. I need to find this right now. I need to see this. If you're listening to this at home, you need to type this into Google. I mean, into into YouTube. Because, oh, that's...
2: It's uh, the high mark of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and over the 30-year history. I mean, this is it right here. (laughs) No wonder the movies didn't do good the last one. They couldn't compete with this. I'm just watching this.
1: Sorry if there's long pauses because I'm just watching this. With, with the sound off, and <laughs> <laughs> they're dancing. They're 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 dancing. They're fake playing guitar and drums and bass. And they're super serious. They're super serious about this.
2: Oh man, I, I just love that you're enjoying it so much. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's. Forget the movies, forget the original movies, forget the new movies, forget any movie you've ever seen in your entire life, <laughs> because I've seen the best thing that you will ever see in your entire life.
2: <laughs> oh, I'm so glad I'm able to share it with you. Oh,
1: man, this is a gift. <laughs> this is a gift, <laughs> Uh You're very welcome, Dane. <laughs> Ah, uh, this is the greatest gift I've ever received from anyone um, <laughs> my parents, my girlfriend, my sisters, anybody. This was the greatest gift I've ever received him. Thank <laughs> you <laughs> oh, I'm
2: extremely happy to help I mean, your life is so much more improved now having experience with turtles out of their shells <laughs>
1: yeah, um. But yeah, I, I I guess get back to the, the Batman Forty Five review, and I'll try to look up this Oprah interview.
2: Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so as I was saying, Batman Forty Five, Booster Gold's brilliant gift idea. Speaking of gifts, <laughs> as you were saying, Dave, his brilliant gift idea for Batman was to give him this alternate timeline. But then he had the brilliant idea of saying, you know, the way you would get back from it is that once you realize how thick things weren't so good in this scenario, you would jump right back to go fix it in the past with me and Skeets. And yeah, that actually didn't work out so good for Bruce to go As Bruce hears him. And he kind of saying, you know, I always felt something was wrong with the world. I'd have dreams about, you know, seeing uh, my parents were murdered and I'd see pearls falling. And then he's all like, I somehow I always know him. Thank you, booster. But instead of going with him, he busts up uh, Skeets <laughs> with uh, the fireplace poker to smash smashes skeets, which was the time machine Booster Gold counted on to use to go back and fix everything. So now he's bit in a bind about this screwed up timeline. And I did like over the course of the issue, we got to see what effects of Bruce not becoming Batman had on the rest of the Bat family. We see Tim as a Wayne uh, engineer, just in a standard cubicle type job, just looking at a computer monitor. Dick actually became Batman, he encountered Booster Gold. But it's a Batman with tons of firepower, not afraid to kill. And there's also a, a Joker's gang. That seems to be the case in a lot of Batman alternate timelines and future. There's a gang based on the Joker's. Then we see Jason Todd, who's working with tires, which I felt was fitting. He's a tire salesman. We see a commercial of him advertising some anti-Joker's uh, tires that shocks him if they try to steal them from cars, which, of course, we you know, that's how Batman first encountered Jason as he was trying to steal tires off the Batmobile. So I thought that was a nice touch. We got a moment with Talia and Rachel Ghoul saying how uh, there'll never be an heir. Talia says, "I'm the only heir the League of Assassins need." Then we see Duke, who pretty much had the saddest alternate uh, fate of all, as we see him pretty much as a vegetable uh, with a lobotomy scarring on his head. Just we just see someone trying to feed him, which is a sad sight to see. So uh, Booster Gold messed things up, and this issue kind of torn on it. I always like seeing different these type of stories you know like perchance the dream of what would happen if batman or bruce's parents were never killed what would his life and others be like so i like it showing the scenario of what that effect would have on the rest of the bat family members but just the plot of it now with booster gold thinking this was a good idea and booster was a really obnoxious throughout this whole issue and and he just had a really good arc with superman not too long ago and where he was more responsible as like the guardian of time and things you couldn't do with time travel and the fact that he would do this as a wedding present for bruce has felt even more so out of character than booster gold uh, that i'm used to you know he could be kind of a goofy character and does some things that are you know not right all the time but his heart's always in the right place and it wasn't the case here so didn't really like the characterization of booster here just you know just felt off so i'm just going to give this issue two and a half out of five of the amounts of the budget that didn't go to the costumes of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number two, but instead went to Vanilla Ice and definitely not to out of their shells <laughs> concert tour. Cause I don't think that had any budget.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I just watched this uh, Oprah interview and, uh,
2: Does, doesn't it make you want to watch the whole thing?
1: <laughs> <laughs> the, um, skit before it's bizarre. I'd say I don't know if you saw the skit before. I don't, right I don't remember the
3: skit. No. <laughs> yeah, there
1: was a skit before it, uh, and then uh, I guess while she's interviewing the the the, the turtles, April O'Neil <laughs> somehow shows up, and then Shredder comes out the back.
2: Oh, I see. <laughs> I don't remember see Shredder. I gotta check that out now. <laughs>
1: it's uh, it's something, Tim. <laughs> I mean, when you think of Oprah, you think of like like, these groundbreaking, like, serious yeah. interviews.
2: I don't know how she made it through that show. <laughs> to keep a straight face. Uh, <laughs> I,
1: I I don't... <laughs> and she's super serious about it, too. Yeah, she, she did the like, best she could. She, she, I, I guess it just goes to show how good of an interviewer or uh journalist, I guess you could say, that Oprah is. Because she took it super serious. <laughs> I mean, it's... It's something, Tim. <laughs>
2: oh man. I I wish I would could have made it to those shows now that I'm thinking about it. I mean I call it, I'm a big TMNT fan. The fact yeah. that I couldn't see this groundbreaking monumental part of the turtles history just
1: filled with regret And and by the way, um I guess the Oprah clip was higher quality than the uh Out of the Shells thing. Uh and their mouths are moving. <laughs> when they sing and it's uh it's fake guitars.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're plugged into anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're, it's it's fake guitars. So I guess for the concerts they figure eh, no one's gonna be able to see the the mouths moves or not as <laughs> long as they're hearing the song but when you're up close for those interviews you gotta yeah. give it a little <laughs> bit of to make it like they're real or they're moving.
1: <laughs> I wonder how many shows they played.
2: I know, that's a good question.
1: I wonder how long it went on before people huh. were like, yeah, we're not going to see this.
2: And if they sold out anywhere, that would be an interesting yeah. <laughs> question to get answered, if it actually succeeded in what they wanted to. Uh, but I don't think it did that well.
1: Yeah, I mean, are are are, are they playing the, the Hollywood Bowl? Or are yeah. they playing, you know, <laughs> some, like a, a VFW venue? <laughs> you know, like...
2: Yeah, how big was the venue?
1: Yeah, I mean, are, are, are there are they playing like Madison Square Garden, or are they, playing, <laughs> <laughs> are they playing? You know, like a small little club. You know, I mean this. I, I mean, I guess this is like a promotion thing, and it looks like they're playing like a like a regular venue. So
2: they play definitely plays some real venue. Just the question is how big <laughs> that venue was. Yeah, try to look so, that up next game. <laughs> <laughs> But, well, but for the...
1: I mean, sorry, be, be, before you get to the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic book, which is good, I assume, I'm just wondering what happened to the uh, franchising rights, I guess, or merchandising rights. or I'm just wondering how something like this happens. I mean, did the creators have any say in what what happens to the, the franchise? I mean, obviously not, or... Maybe they did, and they were just like, "Okay, just make the most money we can out of this." No, they were—they weren't
2: like that. <laughs> okay,
1: yeah, I assumed because they seems like they're level-headed, <laughs> uh, but I'm just wondering what happened to the to the uh, property in the early nineties. Yeah, I guess
2: this could have been maybe some the playmates did the toys. Maybe this was their idea, and maybe they maybe they told the creators the idea this. You know, as <laughs> everything was just booming for the turtles at that time, figured it'd just be another yeah. another avenue to look into, I guess, if people would want to see the turtles in concert.
1: <laughs> I guess. But, but but I mean you see like I don't know, take let's take the Fantastic Four, right? <laughs> this is before Disney made the or, or bought Marvel, right? Uh they made some bad movies right? Mm-hmm. But they didn't go out on tour. You know, there wasn't a, <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't a thing after that. You know, so like, I'm just wondering like, what happened with the TMNT property?
2: Like I said, I think it's just them trying to milk it as much as they could, like every avenue they can. <laughs> yeah, but who, like, the, the,
1: who, who who did that? It, was it the creators or was it the,
2: it's, uh, yeah, I don't know exactly who it was, but it's yeah. got to be some company or, that, like, like I said, whether it was Playmates, or maybe it was the movie studio, I don't know, like New Line, I don't know.
1: Was it the the property holders?
2: Yeah, or maybe Pizza Hut wanted to do it, maybe, they worked out a deal, I don't know.
1: <laughs> I mean, like, how does this happen? <laughs> I'm just wondering, I mean, I mean, my mind is blown, like, they, <laughs> how does this happen, how do, how do they get from a, a kind of underground comic book, right? Mm-hmm. To this. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, like I said, it's the apex of, you know, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It doesn't get any higher than that.
1: <laughs> I guess so. It's not, the, it's not the Michael Bay movies, Tim. It's not that. It's this.
2: Yeah, it's not even their team up with Batman. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, like I'm just wondering, like, how, how did this happen? And, like, did how, how long did this Out of Their Shells tour go on? So, so, so many questions, Tim, about that. <laughs> the, the Ninja Turtles. Uh,
2: so many questions we'll have to get the answers for at some yeah, time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, let's get to the Batman and TMNT (laughs) 2 number 6 review, Tim.
2: Yeah, something unfortunately not as good as Out of the Shadows, but, you know, I had to make do (laughs) (laughs) with what I have here. No, but this one sadly is the last part of Batman TMNT number 2 until hopefully we get a TMNT 3, which I think is a pretty good chance. So this one, the Turtles and Batman, Nightwing, Robin, Batgirl, Casey Jones and April—they're all going to take the fight to Bane at Liberty Island as he's gaining control of the city and taking some hostages of New York there. So they have a 2 uh, pronged plan where Donatello is going to go from the air in the classic iconic turtle blimp and disperse his anti-venom gas, which is going to turn all of Bane's henchmen, the Foot Soldiers, Bebel and Rocksteady, from their oversized induced these venom bodies into this, their normal cells, Which you know it's still going to be a challenge for them, but. Not as much as it would be with everyone doped up on Venom. So he releases the gas and then the Turtles uh, with Damien. Like I said, Damien Nightwing, Batgirl, uh, April and Casey Jones, they're going to do the other attack and take down the foot soldiers. The Turtles and the Bat family members are going to do that while Casey and April are going to try to get all the hostages they had out um, into safety. Then the other part is Batman with Splinter going to confront Bane. But as we knew from the last issue, it ended with Batman releasing Shredder from prison to get his help to get control of the Foot Clan back. And I got to tell you, what a geek out moment this was! Batman, Shredder, and Splinter taking on Bane. I mean, I didn't know everything that would be something I read in a comic book, but I'm so glad I got it here. And I've the one thing I've said even from the first Team and T Batman crossover is how what I wanted to see most out of anything with this team up is Batman fighting the Shredder. And I'll get to that a little later at the end of this issue, but. Um, this was a nice, you know, I guess consolation prize to that. If I didn't get that, seeing Batman fight with Shredder and Splinter taking out Bane was the next best thing because it was an awesome fight sequence of you know, seeing the three of them take on this gigantic size Bane. We got Splinter using his small and size and his rat reflexes to attack from the top of Bane to distract him, while Batman and Shredder uh, go for the bottom, like his legs and his arms, and then cutting up his venom tubes to take him down. It was this, Really cool seeing all three of them fight together. Then uh, goe mixing that up with uh, the Turtles and the Bat family members taking on uh, the foot soldiers and Bebop at Grog Just a really fun action-packed issue with a lot of geek-out moments seeing these characters fight together. Just awesome stuff. So uh, the Batman Shredder and Splinter were able to knock Bane down uh not necessarily beat him just yet but this is once they knock him out of his lair out into the open with his foot soldiers shredder uses this opportunity to get his army back you know rallying his troops and making them see you know he's their true leader and not Bane and he's able to do the trick and he gets them to you know join with his uh, granddaughter here Karai uh, to level the playing field but pretty much to get them out so the rest of them can just focus on taking out Bane and the only one uh, members of Bane's army that he has left are Bebop and Rocksteady but, of course, without Venom. So this is uh, the other final battle, part of this battle is just everyone, Batman, Shredder, Splinter, the four turtles, Batgirl, Robin, Nightwing, all going against Bane now after, and B-Bob and Rocksteady. They're just pounding each of them, just, and taking out b and Rocksteady easy and then doing what they can against Bane. But the thing that's able to <laughs> able to get Bane is that Donatello shoots out a bunch of elephant trank darts <laughs> into Bane to put him out of commission after Uh, they were able to take him down a little bit. So there's a lot of great action moments here. Like I said, geek out moments with seeing these characters from these two franchises that I love so much battle it out against Bane. It's so, so cool to read. And this this the point of this crossover, just to have great moments, like fun moments like this and awesome action. So that was great. And uh, Batman eventually goes back to, you know, Gotham with Bane who's knocked out, goes back with, um, of course, the rest of the Bat family members. And what I liked about it, though, is what he left with Donatello. Donatello, again, tries to apologize about, you know, him just being all his fault. Batman tells him he doesn't need to. And I like here, too, at the end, after he leaves, Donatello looks in his lab and he sees a note. And it's from Batman. It's a training protocol for lot, all the Robins do. And Donatello just is just like excited, like, hey, guys, guess what I've got? Like, this is some Batman left, left, left for me to increase my training, help me do better. And everyone's all, like, hey, you've got to share that with us, right? Right. But Donatello already left with it. And the issue ends with a picture of all the turtles and all the Bat family members gathered together for a little photograph that they took. And again, it says the end for now. Again, it's like the first uh, story arc did highlighting we get a second one, which we did. So hopefully that means we're going to get a third one. But I mentioned Batman versus Shredder. And this is going to be my one nitpick of a really fun issue. Uh, I, I both love it and hate it at the same time where. Uh, they asked Batman, how would you get Shredder to, you know, agree to join you and not like double cross you or anything? And Batman reveals to them, you know, he agreed to help us under one condition. He wanted to fight me, just me and him, a rematch. And we just get one panel on the page of Batman and Shredder going at it. It's like, no, you can't say that they fought and only give me one panel showing that fight sequence something i've been dying to see is like ah, uh, so it's the cruelest tease to know that it happened which is awesome but not to see it that's what makes it hurts like uh, why did it so bad because in the first arc batman and shredder had a fight but batman was in this like uh high-tech robot robotic suit and i wanted it just one-on-one no enhanced powers or anything just uh, they're great martial artists, two of the best i wanted to see them go at it and they did but we just didn't get to see it all but it's assumed Batman won. I, that's, I'm gonna take it since you know Shredder did end up helping him. But I just wanted to see that so bad, and the fact that it was just a tease was a little disappointing. So, gonna have to knock off a half a point for that. But I just love this issue—a solid, you know, epic conclusion to another fun crossover between Batman and the Turtles. So I'm gonna give this one four and a half out of five amounts of the budget that didn't go to the costumes in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number two or Out of the Shadows, <laughs> but I went to Vanilla Ice and bad denim clothes and keyboards and guitar. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, I'm just watching more of this, Tim. <laughs>
2: You're engrossed now, Dean. You can't escape it. <laughs> have you seen the whole thing, Tim? No, I haven't seen the whole thing. Okay, I don't think I can.
1: <laughs> I, I I can't imagine going to something like this as an adult. <laughs> it must've been so like, Oh my God.
2: Yeah. You know, those poor parents taking their kids. <laughs> I, spent, I spent
1: $300 on this. <laughs>
2: Man, I hope it did not cost that much.
1: <laughs> oh, but anyway, uh, I, I, I guess we should end this show while we're ahead. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> we know
2: what we're going to be doing after right when we end. Continue oh, yeah. watching those videos.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, Go to batmanuniverse.net, facebook.com/slash batmanuniverse, Twitter handles at batmanuniverse shows, Twitter handles at batfanspodcast. Um, Tim's Twitter handles at timg311. I'll say it since you get you've given me this great gift. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> uh, my Twitter handles at dane says banana. Uh, you can email the show at batfanswithoutpants at gmail.com. And yeah, that's it. So, uh, let me like say at the end of every single show, Tim, what do we say?
2: We love each and every one of you with all of our bat and TMNT denim shirts best (laughs) parts.
1: (laughs) I have to say that's the best part of the the, uh, whole out of their shells costume.
2: Is there a fantastic wardrobe? (laughs) Um,
1: So yeah, we'll, we'll see you guys next time.
2: Yeah, see you next time.